Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Robbie Martin. And this is your co-host, Abby Martin. Well, you're not just, you're not the co-host. I mean, you're, you're the, you're the big shot. Stop here. trying to take the title <laughs> away from me, dude. It's my shit. <laughs> um, what's up? We're, we're in Oakland. It's holiday. I hope everyone had a good Christmas. Um, wings on pigs. Wings on pigs. That is before the SWAT team comes to our house. That's what, uh, apparently, if you just say that on social media, then you get a visit by the FBI and go to jail. That's that's the freedom of press now. <laughs> like, I don't even understand how that even happened. De Blasio's a badass. Yeah, so, it's I mean, like, if, if in case anyone doesn't realize we're talking about the cop killer in New York City Instagrammed that, along with his bloody clothes, you said, Robbie, and, like, the gun that he used to shoot those cops. Yeah. Which is, he's obviously like mentally ill and insane and just a lunatic for, first of all, killing people. Second of all, like bragging about it. (laughs) But I mean, the fact that like some other guy just Facebooked, quote, wings on pigs, end quote, and then he is in jail. He's like, I mean, he's probably not in jail still, but he went to jail and now he's like facing charges for doing that. So apparently even if you just repeat what a crazy killer has tweeted or Instagrammed, then you can yourself face charges. So I wonder if we can resurrect all the shit that Charles Manson had those girls like write in pig's blood on the wall of, you know, the Helter Skelter house. Like, will we get arrested? I mean, it's just like, where's the line drawn? It's insane. Yeah. I mean, there's actually been, I think some of these cases have gone to the Supreme Court. Like, you know, Eminem has song lyrics about like how he wants to kill his ex-girlfriend and he says it in like grisly detail yeah so like that so there's a guy there's some like indie rapper who's not you know who's not very well known who was posting very similar um song lyrics like that about his family about his wife on facebook and i think that he actually got arrested for it in a similar way but it was like after a long period of time after like people who'd followed him on facebook reported him to the police and there's, I think it's an ongoing case still where it's like, it's going to, it's actually going to determine in the Supreme court, like a pretty fundamental like line, you know, this is the line here. If you cross this, you're actually breaking the law, but it's like a first amendment case. Good. Let's get this decided once and for all. I mean, it's, it's getting ludicrous. And did you hear about tiny do that rapper? No. So tiny do is this, like, I don't even know where he lives, but he's just this very generic low level rapper who has rapped about like gang stuff and whatever. And he is facing a conspiracy, like conspiracy charges. He's basically facing a life sentence in prison for simply rapping about a gang that has committed crimes. It is the most absurd case I've ever heard. It's actually really tragic. And like all the reports about him make it seem like he's this huge rapper and he's like making all this money off like rapping about gang crimes and stuff and I looked into the case and I was like wait this guy isn't a big rapper at all SoundCloud had like a couple hundred listens and stuff and I thought why is everyone kind of towing the line of the story instead of just pointing to how insane it is that this guy is going to jail for this like it didn't make any sense was okay I guess my question is I don't know anything about the story yeah. but was he like on parole or probation or anything no he had he had zero charges okay. against him he'd like never committed any crimes That's and had no criminal record because I know that there's some like if you're a gang member yeah. and you go to jail for committing some sort of gang related crime you're like 
you have a much stricter mm -hmm. um, parole like restrictions where like if you are seen like in Oakland, I think in the Bay Area, there's a specific law where if you like associate or if you even hang out with a person that's in the gang, even if you like aren't even friends with them or mm -hmm. don't know them. If it's like a cop sees you with another person who's in the, a gang, then like you can actually like go back to jail and stuff. Wow. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, that sounds really fucked up. Yeah, it's super it's, sad. And his lawyer is just like, this is the most absurd case ever. Um, so let's talk about North Korea because North Korea <laughs> is about to, we totally need to invade North Korea right now. Like, dude, North Korea has hacked Sony and it's like super dangerous. They're like narrowing in on... Yeah, they're everything about this country, man. They're one of the worst human rights abusers. They, um, <laughs> their people have no freedom, and and let's let's just pile on and say things that are really risky, like things yeah. that we will take a great risk for saying. Yeah. how bad the human rights abuses yeah. in North Korea are, because pretty much no one else is saying that. Right, you know, it's like been something that's been ignored for decades. Um, somebody should place it in the context of the axis of evil because they deserve to be in there. And yeah, this is like a but. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's fucking embarrassing. I mean, we're, it is we're being sarcastic and it's just like embarrassing how many people are piling onto this and turning it into an issue of freedom of speech. Um, and yeah, it just, it's just like, how do all these people fall for this every single time whenever we want to go after another one of these countries? And you know, what's funny is looking back, everyone can talk about how um, acquiescent the press was during the Iraq war. And it's like, well, you guys are doing the same thing now. It's like, yeah, it's easy to look back and be like, yeah, all the press was, they totally lackeyed to the establishment and sold the war. It's like, well, then why don't you stop doing it right now? Because right now there's the, the U.S. is vying to go in all these countries. It's already laid out plans. Remember the axis of evil, Iran, Syria, North Korea, we're already bombing Syria. That's too late. Good job, liberals standing up to that one. It's just unbelievable. It's like, sure, why don't you apply that same discernment right now to your own coverage? If you are in the media, maybe stop jumping on the bandwagon every time there's like a wave of demonization toward a new country. And right now, this North Korea thing is just absolutely insane. First of all, we're not North Korea apologists, but come on, guys. I mean, first of all, it's impossible to verify any story that's coming out of North Korea. I don't believe anything that I read about North Korea nearly because it really is impossible to verify. Second of all, there's well, like absolutely- more extreme than the Iron Curtain. They yeah. have like no, that's part of the problem. It's, it's yeah, they do stifle their population. They censor them. They, they keep them in the dark, but at the same time, because they keep them in the dark and because they're so cut off, we can't really, you know, we will send in people sometimes and journalists sometimes get in there, but yeah, we don't really know. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. just surface level. And I'm sure it's bad. I mean, yeah. I'm not- doubting that yeah but i've oh, read sorry. reports of like cannibalism going on like mass executions where kim jong-il's like army will like take families and execute them in front of auditoriums and stuff and i'm just like i looked into the source of the story it was like a daily mail story and all these publications picked it up and the source of it once you got down to the nitty-gritty was one quote one anonymous source that that claimed that they were like a defector and it's like well who is this person and how easy is it to just pick up the story and just like jump on the bandwagon and be like, yeah, dude, they do like mass executions in front of auditoriums. Yeah. They're like eating each other and stuff. It's like, what? And what, what news agency was this picked up in? Reuters? It was, I saw it in daily mail. Cause of course they pick up yeah. the most sensational stuff, but, but it was like linked in several other publications in that article. Daily mail is, is one that I guess people in the UK know this, but I don't think a lot of people in America 
fully know that like the Daily Mail is almost like the a, the same as the New York Post here. Mm-hmm. It's like a right leaning, super sensationalist, you know, sort of yeah. like almost like the Guardian's doppelganger out of the UK. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's. I thought one of the best articles uh, that I read about North Korea was actually on one of our favorite websites, the Daily Beast. Nice. Um, and it's written by a guy called Mark Rogers. I really don't know what else he's written, but the article's called No, North Korea Didn't Hack Sony. <laughs> and my favorite line from the article is he doesn't, he's not going into any of this, you know, there's more silly sort of like urban legend style conspiracy theories sort of flying around right now about how it was a publicity stunt completely on the behalf of Sony, like that they hacked themselves. Oh, wow. But I think it, there's a more interesting reality here where it's, it actually seems like Sony didn't have to actually cancel the movie showings. They didn't have to do some of the concessions they, they did, but by doing them, they generated a lot of publicity mm-hmm, for mm-hmm, themselves. Mm-hmm. And so there's a line from this uh, article that I think is really important. Um, but while you're looking for that, um, you know, I'm in a newsroom, so I'm like surrounded by TVs. And it was just really interesting to see after everyone was saying that North Korea hacked Sony. And I was just like, wow, there's absolutely zero, 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 zero evidence proving this. And then all of a sudden, every single news organization just said, confirmed North Korea hacked Sony. And it was like every single, like all the lower thirds. And it was just like 24 seven coverage, just saying confirm, confirm. And I was like, wait, oh, wow. I was like, oh, they actually like found evidence. I shouldn't even, I mean, I should have known by now. And then I like looked at it. I was like, oh, Nope, still zero evidence. Yeah. It's just like what? Well, and then and then Obama officially said the same thing. Like it yeah. was unofficial. It was yeah. a leak at first. Yeah. And then eventually, like in four or five days, he got up there um, in front of the press and said that same thing. That it's like North Korea. They have evidence that North Korea is behind it. But then they never released any evidence. Yeah, and then and then it. what they were alluding to was that it looked similar to another hack that they thought had come from North Korea. And it's like, so even that hack you didn't confirm came from North Korea. It's yeah. like, wait, so nothing you're even saying makes sense well, at all. And then also there's this there's this fact that's inescapable. And this guy brings that up in the Daily Beast article, um, Mark Rogers, that the Guardians of Peace, this hacking group that yeah. was behind this, they didn't actually say anything about the interview at all right. in the first right. hack. It was only until the media speculated that it might be North Korea about the interview. Like someone sort of mused about that, then it sort of snowballed from there. The North Korea th- theory started before the hackers even announced anything about the interview. Right. So um, it's interesting. Okay, so this guy in this article brings up the interesting um, sort of like parallel here that it's not only the U S government that's benefiting from this North Korea demonization that the hackers are too, because then it's sort of like whoever did this, whatever hacking group is responsible for this, or even if it's just one person or yeah. a few people, uh, it, it sort of creates a smoke screen enough where they, you know, they could cover their tracks more easily. It makes people look in this other direction. So it's, it's almost like it's a convenient out for both parties involved. And like whoever really did the hack, um, they were able to generate this crazy controversy out of the North Korea concept that would have never normally been there. Like it would have just been this like inside baseball, like Sony had an embarrassing leak and, you know, all these celebrities get embarrassed and that was the end of it. But then it's just like, whoa, now all of a sudden it's like a geopolitical incident. Right. Like, and and Obama's saying, we're going to retaliate. And yeah. I'm like, why are you, why would a government, and I mean, I'm saying this facetiously because we know that obviously our government's controlled by corporations, but I was just like, 
rhetorical question. Since fucking when would a government need to retaliate against a corporate hack and not even a U.S. corporation? That's hilarious. I mean, it's insane. It's pure insanity. <clears throat> and and yeah, I love the, the, the Sony hack is so funny, too, because like when when they were saying that North Korea did it, I was like, wow, that's so weird. I was like, why would North Korea do this really uber sophisticated, like embarrassing leak and Sony executives? I was just like, that seems like a really weird thing to target. Yeah. I mean, why? <laughs> so North Korea wanted to harm the U.S., um, <laughs> all these other opportunities they could have taken, you know, and when, you know, I mean, like, look at what Russia does when, when they've taken tons of opportunities to sort of make the U S look dumb or embarrassing, you know, like when, you know, I don't know, just in a lot of different situations, but like the North Koreans, they are pretty much just, you know, isolated. They, they talk a big game in their own country. And sometimes they release these propaganda videos that show like the white house on fire and stuff with like low quality CGI graphics, but they don't like put those on YouTube and translate them into English and try to like, right. I mean, so it, it, it does seem really out of character, you know, for, even if this was like a rogue North Korean group, like really patriotic group, I mean, even that seems out of character for, for just in general. I mean, from what I know about North Korea, but in this Daily Beast article, this is something that it's great to see something like this actually written in a publication this big. But he says, blaming North Korea offers an easy way out for the many, many people who allowed this debacle to happen from Sony Pictures management through to the security team that were defending Sony Pictures Network. And that's obvious. Like they don't have to, you know, it's sort of like blaming 9-11 for the incompetent bureaucracy yeah. you know nobody it's like nobody's yeah, no in, one's account, to blame. everyone's hands are clean. yeah and then then he goes on to say you don't need to be a conspiracy theorist to see that blaming north korea is quite convenient for the fbi and the current u.s administration it's the perfect excuse to push through whatever new strong cyber laws they feel are appropriate safe in the knowledge that an outraged public is fairly likely to support them so like even if they don't i mean I don't even think that the United States, like, I'm not saying that they orchestrated this or that they planned it, but like, clearly someone in the United States government wanted to seize on the Sony hack. And know. they've already said that they're going to introduce new CISPA style legislation. Yeah. Like it was year. immediately brought on the table. Perfect. So like all these other times when, you know, when people are like, oh, this must be staged like, or like Sandy Hook when they were like, oh, now they're going to start pushing all this gun legislation through well, they didn't, nobody like really got gun legislation through that was that powerful. No, after in that. fact, more gun laws have been passed that ease gun restrictions yeah. in Sandy Hook. Or like the Boston Marathon bombings, like everybody was like, oh, they're going to push through. You know, usually, I guess all I'm trying to say is when the government wants to manipulate a narrative and like really do something like that, I feel like, especially the White House, um, I mean, at least in this case, they showed their hand pretty quick mm -hmm. with like... You know, Real quick. We're going to seize on this opportunity. Oh, and guess what? New cyber legislation. Yeah. It was just like, boom, boom. Yeah. And, 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 like, and you Whoa. know what? People are going to be like, okay. Yeah. Like, it's just going to be like, all right. Like, just like the Syria bombing thing. People are like, well, we have to bomb Syria now because look at ISIS. You're like, wait, yeah. what? The chemical red lines thing didn't work yeah. well enough. So they were like, shit, what can we do next? And it's like, well, let's just show how fucking crazy ISIS yeah. is. Yeah. You know? And then somehow vice reporters are starting to be embedded with like their like <clears throat> top commanders showing us how crazy they are in like shaky cam documentary format. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, the, the cyber legislation thing is just, is just insane. You know, we can defeat all this legislation and then something like the Sony hat comes out. And then what do you know? The majority of Americans are like, well, we need to, I mean, 
well, we need it, you know? Um, I just find it really sad because this whole North Korea thing is sad. First of all, North Korea is not a good country. I'm not going to sit here and apologize for North Korea, obviously. But you have to understand that this is a country that the U.S. does not want to exist. So when people jump into taking sides or, I mean, I'm not saying that you you have to be pro-North Korea. I'm just saying that you can't just like start parroting rhetoric that you're hearing about any of this shit until you understand the historical narrative of how these countries have formed and what militarily has happened there. Like when people talk about the Middle East, it's like, first of all, do you understand that Britain literally like redistrict countries? Like, do you understand that like these countries didn't even exist like a hundred years ago? Like, and like, if you're talking about Afghanistan before the Russia invaded Afghanistan, Afghanistan was pretty progressive. Like, look back at what Afghanistan used to be like in the 60s. Women didn't, weren't even wearing burqas. Well, that was, the, I mean, just really quickly about Afghanistan. Yeah. That was like how we were able to, you know, ha- essentially defeat the Russian invasion of Afghanistan was we tapped into what was at the time not a minority, but wasn't the majority, right. which was the quote unquote, as Jimmy Carter said, the deeply religious people of yeah. Afghanistan. We tapped into that and we just fucking made them the most powerful faction Yep, by our money yep. and our military yep. and our weapons. So it's like, and we act shocked that they're like, yeah. Oh my God. I mean, and, and yeah, I mean, there, there are so many, sorry, you were, you were on a good roll with what you're saying, but I just wanted to say there's so many issues that are happening today that were, when you actually put them into context, either geopolitically or just historically, you realize immediately how bullshitty all mm-hmm. all the narratives are that are in the media. I mean, not just the mainstream media, but like the alternative media as well. I mean, a lot of the time. Right. So it's like, it's not just blaming U.S. imperialism. It's blaming like Western intervention. I mean, Britain obviously is a huge factor in all of this, obviously before the U.S. But I mean, if you're looking at Korea, <clears throat> it's called the Forgotten War for a reason. Um, we never, we don't even understand. I don't even think that if you like pulled an average American off the street, they would even be able to tell you much about the Korean war unless they're like from an older generation that actually, you know, had people go fight in it like our grandpa. But like the Korean war was so devastating. So many people died and the demarcation zone that has been formed. There is the most militarized border in the world. It's torn apart generations of families. It is, it's just insane. I mean, you just you just have to understand. We'll link to a little interview on the timeline right now that gives kind of a little bit of historical context. But it's like North Korea, for its own survival, has to act this way. It ha- I mean, of course, they don't have to be like threatening other countries, but they have to say, if you fuck with us, we will use a nuclear weapon. Because if they don't, they're going to get invaded and overthrown. I mean, it's basically like they look at the rest of the world and they're like, okay, we have to like shut ourselves into a fortress. I'm not, I'm not trying to justify the fact that they don't let people have internet. Obviously that's horrible, but I'm saying like militarily, this kind of arrogant attitude about like, we have nukes and we're going to use them if you try to fuck with us. Like, of course they're doing that because if they didn't do that, they'd be like sitting ducks. It's like, they've learned from like Saddam and they've learned from Libya and they, that's why they are isolated in that little like fortress area. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you just think that this happened in a vacuum, you're wrong. And you have to understand why this is happening. Yeah. And then there's this, there's this great guy that I've been following recently. I'm, I'm not too certain of what his politics are overall, but just recently since this North Korean thing, this guy, Tim Chirac, um, who has been yeah, on Democracy Now! a few times, um, he's in D.C., 
And I guess he used to, he says he was raised in post-war Japan and South Korea on his Twitter page. So he's always like bringing things into the discussion that yeah, like, this is a you know, great historical interview. contexts, you know, and one of the things he said, which I didn't hear before, but I looked at, you know, I looked at his link and it's, and it's true. Um, he said at least a million civilians were killed by U.S. firebombing during the Korean War. This is not a laughing matter. So, I mean, we don't even, th you know, we th the Korean War to us is just a blip. You know, most of the people, most of our relatives, you know, don't really, weren't veterans from the Korean War. Maybe we had a grandpa that might have fought in the Korean War. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. none of our relatives mm -hmm, did. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a generation in between sort of World War II and Vietnam. So, um it's just not something we hear about, but a million people. I mean, again, it's one of those situations where we can't relate to we've it. We've never experienced no. a genuine military attack on our country where a civilians are in danger. Okay. Yeah. Remember 9-11? 3,000 people died. Horrible yeah. tragedy. We're still milking the fuck out of it today to bomb a shitload of people. Can you imagine yeah. if a million people died by way of firebombing from a Western power or whatever, Eastern power, whatever, Middle Eastern power doing it to us? Can you just imagine... Can you it would freak the fuck out. I mean, we blame North Korea for isolating themselves and, and turning so totalitarian and cut off from the rest of the world. But yet, what would we have done if someone bombed us? I mean, it just it's just an interesting thing yeah. if you actually try to imagine what America would be like um, if that happened. And like, I don't know. It's just... <sighs> yeah. I don't even remember and, what I was going to say. And Michael but. Moore, of all people, like he wrote when when they were canceling the interview... <clears throat> the interview, meaning the movie, you know, that, that really, really daring movie that Seth Rogen put out super, super hardcore, um, really cutting into that narrative, you know, but when that movie got canceled or for, and now it's, of course, now it's open again. Now you can see the interview. Um, so that was all kind of like a PR seizure, but Michael Moore tweeted like, that's so funny. He's like, of course we got threatened and we were going to release Fahrenheit 9-11. He was like, but we would never have ever even dreamed of canceling any of the release. He was like, we were getting threatened left and right. And like the government was telling us not to release it and stuff. And he was like, obviously we would never have done that. But then on the other hand, you have Michael Moore releasing the interview and making a huge deal like, yeah, we don't censor. And it's like, don't you see through this shit? Like... Why yes. are you acting as if the interview is like some huge, I don't know, man. It is, it's just it is, so weird. It's, it's the, it's self-censorship <laughs> yeah. is really what it is. I mean, yeah, I feel bad. I mean, no, I don't feel bad for Seth Rogen. Why was I about to say that? I think he's a fucking <laughs> dumb fucking cunt. I really actually used to like his, his work and I didn't think he was that bad of a guy before, but after this shit went down, honestly, I really, I have lost all respect for him. And I think that. It is complete bullshit the way that people are turning this into a freedom of speech issue. A company chose not to release a movie based on whatever, based on these threats. I mean, and this whole thing about the theater chains deciding not to show it on that release date. I mean, I don't know what the deal was with that. That seems like, you know, the theater chains got cold feet or whatever, but I don't even know if that's really true. I mean, maybe that's... Yeah. You know, maybe that was kind of bullshitty too. I mean, I don't know. Like, it just seems totally hyped up and just for nothing. It, it honestly like, is a very wag the dog style yeah. situation. It reminds me of a scene out of wag the dog. It really you know? does. Yeah. And I'm not saying that this was staged or that Sony hacked themselves. I mean, obviously some sort of third party decided to embarrass the shit out of Sony. Yeah. That was the goal. It worked. And then whoever it was decided to just keep taking it up all these notches and like follow along with the U.S. hype machine. And it was almost like 
too easy, you know, man. Were, they, yeah, they were just like kept, they just kept making it sound crazier and crazier and actually started to threaten 9 11 style attacks. Um, and we just bought it hook, line, and sinker, and everybody just parroted it and turned it into this fucking geopolitical incident. And it was embarrassing. It, I mean, it's all around. frankly embarrassing. Yeah. It really is. Here's the thing once again, we are not apologizing for Assad. He uses barrel bombs, whatever. I know that mass casualties have happened in Syria. But the problem is when you just focus and hone in on like the countries that the U.S. military has stated that it wants to invade and pretty much overthrow like its leaders and democratize them. I mean, that that should make you sit back and be like, OK, wait, maybe I should ask myself why I'm kind of like falling into this. You know what I mean? Or why am I like playing along with this stuff? Because once again, it's easy to look back at Iraq but what is the difference now? Syria, Assad has done nothing to threaten the U.S. government. Assad has done nothing. In the, he's expressed no threats overtly to this country and the people of this country. So why is it that that's like this knee-jerk thing that like it's suddenly cool and hip to talk about bombing Assad and overthrowing Assad? And like, I, I just don't get it. No, I, I, I mean, you know, you know how upset yeah. I get about this. I mean, we were, we, this well, think, is one of the things that upsets me the most, but I wanted to jump back to North Korea really quickly yeah. because there's another person in this that I think deserves some, you know, criticism who's considered sort of like a champion of a lot of liberal causes. He was one of the main guys out there trying to get focus on Sudan. George Clooney was interviewed by Deadline.com. And I mean, I guess I didn't, I don't, I don't really know. I haven't really seen him like rant about politics in an angry way before. You know, I know he's political, but this actually seems like he was really riled up. And this is what he said in the interview. So the interview just has this weird tone to it where the guy asking George Clooney the question just starts with, how could this have happened that terrorists achieved their aim of canceling a major studio film? We watched it unfold, but how many people realized that Sony legitimately was under attack? George Clooney what? says, a good portion of the press abdicated its real duty. They played the fiddle while Rome burned. There was a real story going on. With just a little bit of work, you could have found out that it wasn't just probably North Korea. It was North Korea. The wow. Guardians of Peace is a phrase that Nixon used when he visited China. When asked why he was helping South Korea, he said it was because we were the Guardians of Peace. We're talking about an actual country deciding what content we're going to have. That affects not just movies. This affects every part of business that we have. That's the truth. What happens if a newsroom decides to go with a story and a country, an individual, decides they don't like it? Et cetera, et cetera. And then he just goes on. So I just, it's wow. just shocking to me that someone, you know... I, George Clooney has a little bit of a bone to pick because his personal emails got revealed and it's pretty embarrassing. Yeah. And he keeps going on, keeps going on and blah, blah, blah. And like, then the guy asked him about, you know, where is it and how were these terrorists able to isolate Sony from the herd and make them so vulnerable? And what? then he even defends Obama. And, and oh it's just, God. it's just really weird, dude. Like, yeah. I don't understand how these people are falling for this bullshit. Yeah. And, and even The Intercept released an article, like the conversation that Clooney had with the Sony executive where they're talking about how they don't want to do Glenn Greenwald's movie anymore because Oliver Stone's already doing a movie about Snowden. Did you read that? And so Glenn, George yeah. Clooney was like, I read the book. Yeah, he was like, he was like, the book isn't about journalism. It's about Snowden. And he was like, we can't do it. He was like, Oliver Stone already got it. And it's like, what do you mean it's about? It's not about journalism. Like, are you an idiot? <laughs> it just shows you where George Clooney's mind's at. It's just like, oh, a little bit embarrassed there. You know, I always talk about, you know, the Karl Rove thing about mm -hmm. creating a new reality and how we're, we've sort of switched into this possibly new reality, you know, like where someone has 
you know, the narratives are so different now about taking us to war. I mean, just the change from Bush to Obama, the rhetoric is different. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. ways that Obama has brought us into these different foreign policy incursions is takes on a completely different character. But in the end, it's, it's the same thing. You know, we're not maybe as aggressive, not as unilateral about it, but it's, we're, we're still invading and knocking down these regimes, you know, just the same way that the seven countries in five years thing that, you know, yeah. that the Bush administration laid out the basically PNAC, I mean, the PNAC yeah. plan. So back when Bush was doing it, it was very easy to point to organizations or specific reporters and say, these people are spreading propaganda. They are propagandists. They carrying water, they're carrying water for the Iraq war um, propaganda. Yeah, like you know, Judith Miller, like now people don't really trust the New York Times or the MSM, you know, CNN, MSNBC. People like think it's a joke, but now you have it infiltrating publications like Gawker, BuzzFeed, Daily Beast, so it's like a new wave of propaganda with like younger, hipper, Vice. like journalists in D.C. who all smoke weed, like Josh Rogan, um, Eli Lake, like they're like open stoners and stuff. And it's just like, but you guys are still like scumbag warmongers. Yeah, that's the thing I think that's confusing is that, I mean, even though I don't have some sort of like idealization of like, you know, if you're a liberal, you're more open-minded, you smoke, you know, you probably smoke weed or you're open to it or you're, you know, you have better music tastes or whatever. Like, I mean, I guess I even fall into that trap sometimes too, where I wrongly assume that if you're liberal, you tend to be a little bit more educated, a little bit more, you know, savvy about like, the U.S.'s true motivations and whatever, you know, et cetera. Yeah. But I guess we're just moving into this weird new era where it's like, you know, it is kind of like generation vice. It's like, you know, someone like, I don't even really know. I mean, Eli Lake and Josh Rogan, they're, they're definitely more sort of openly right wing. Yeah, yeah. So like, I don't think they appeal to the like hipsterdom as much, but there are other people. But I it's mean, like people who are just like kind of buying into it. Like yeah. they're not necessarily going in there with the intentions like, yeah, we're going to like do this under the auspices of something else. They just literally buy into the propaganda and they're just repeating it to their circles without even knowing that they're like really acting yeah. pawns in well, this like whole game. The inching up sort of thing in Syria. I mean, you and I both saw a lot of sort of so-called liberal, not even just liberal, but people who are like civil libertarian, like champions, you know, like really anti-drone war and mm-hmm, stuff. Like mm-hmm. people like that were repeating these this sort of like mili- you know, military strategy about what we should do in Afghanistan, of uh, um, I'm yeah. sorry, in, in Syria. Yeah. No fly zone. Yeah. Um, you know, we need to, we need to help the, the, the free Syrian army. Yeah. 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 I mean, there were people doing that. So like, and these people were like, are like people that would normally be like really anti-imperialism or you would think they would be. Right. So that was, I guess that was a scary moment for me because it seemed like we're in the sort of new reality paradigm where, where all the, you know, the government propaganda gets filtered down to these more sort of more indie, more alternative media outlets now. But the scary thing about the Syria propaganda is that it just like crossed the entire spectrum Mm -hmm. and it didn't seem like anybody was really calling out, you know, nobody big, at least like, you know, the intercept was even kind of hands off. They were sort of like, yeah, the ISIS stuff is hyped up, but like they never were really like this, you know, I think they called out the chemical weapons thing, but they never really called out 
sort of the way we were going to go into Syria because of ISIS, like in way of ISIS, like that was the new propaganda that took us into Syria. And and if people have kind of lost track of how many countries were bombing and stuff right now in Syria, I just read an article the other day because it's like you don't really hear about like what we're doing in Syria. You just kind of think like, oh, yeah, the U.S. like bombed ISIS a couple of times in Syria just in the month of December. The U.S. like, you know, the U.S. also claimed like a coalition of the willing style thing. Like they were like, yeah, we're going to go in with like partners. Yeah. But now it's basically once again, a totally unilateral approach. The U S has done like 96% of all the bombings there and it's bombed Syria like 90 times or like 67 times when I read this article. So it's probably 90 by now in Syria, just in the month of December. You know what I mean? I mean, that's how, that's how heavily we're bombing the country. Does anyone else care about that? I don't understand. I mean, I just don't, I just don't understand where the outrage is. It's like, yes, Assad, think what you want about Assad, but Jesus Christ, why are you supporting military intervention in a country that like, you know, that the U S has stated that it wants to undermine and it was trying to invade a year ago. Yeah. Like, I don't No, It's, it's really bad. And, and I mean, also what's weird to me is that I guess there's a lot of articles coming out right now about this, but I don't think it's really getting the attention it deserves is that Russia is actually joining in and, and, and helping to fight ISIS in Syria. And here's a, an article called Turkey and Russia to work together in fighting ISIS. And it's about how, um, they're, they're basically launching airstrikes. Well, here's the weird thing about that. I don't understand Turkey's angle because I remember a year ago, right after like the chemical weapons weird thing, you might remember this. Someone tapped Erdogan's like inner cabinet meeting. Do you remember this? And basically all these people within Erdogan's inner circle were saying that they were going to stage a false flag attack and blame it on Syria so they can invade Syria. They were going to blow up the sacred tomb of Suleiman Shah, like an ancient fucking like... Islamic tomb and blame it on Syrian whatever and just so they can invade and have like a precursor That's really to invade. Hardcore. And and no one talked about it. I remember the International Business Times was literally the only publication that printed out the transcript of what the tape actually said. And I have a video about this because it was fascinating because every other publication just said they talked about strategies to invade Syria. And I was like, they're talking about staging an attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're talking about like blowing up an ancient tomb and blaming it on Syria so yeah, they can invade. The most import, by far the most important part of the story. <laughs> it was like so mind-blowing. I was like, wait, are you guys like protecting Turkey or do you not want to talk about false flags because yeah, yeah. something's going on? Well, no, I, and I think that that's, a, that's a, a thread that has ran through a lot of the obvious times when people in the U.S. media would have been able to mention this idea of false flags. Yeah. They haven't. Right. You know, mainstream media didn't even jump out the chance to link the Litvinenko killing with the, you know, polonium that nobody ever linked, tried to link that in the mainstream press, at least to the idea of false flag attacks right, in Russia. Right, 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 right. But Tell yet, him. yeah, but yet that, that's the interesting thing about Litvinenko is that he, I mean, in, in, in a lot of ways was the equivalent of like a Russian 9-11 truther, but transposed 9-11 truth to like, you know, like Russian terrorism truther, you know? And you know what's like funny about Chechen that? And terrorism. I want you to explain this whole story because it's really interesting. But what's so funny is that when you talk about Russia now and people say Russia kills journalists, like Russia, you know, 
oh yeah, we, we imprison journalists and maybe for life, you know, we can send fucking Aaron Swartz to jail for a hundred years. We can have Barrett Brown in jail for posting a link. We can like do all this crazy shit. Chelsea Manning's in jail for 30 years, but Russia kills journalists and they point to the polonium incident, what you're talking about and talk and about what this, talk about what this guy did. Cause I don't think people actually know. They know that this guy got polonium and died, but they don't understand like what you're about to say. Yeah, I talked about this a little bit in the Clinton's War on Terror episode because it goes back to the late 90s. It goes back to the origin of sort of Putin's rise to power in Russia, apparently. Um, Litvinenko was a, I believe he was a FSB agent at one time and he defected or something. See, I don't really know his history completely, but all I know about him is that he later came out as this sort of like whistleblower against the Russian government and started to accuse the Russian government of either being involved in or completely staging Chechen terrorist attacks on civilian targets. Um, the apartment building bombings, um, the Beslan school siege, uh, these things he would describe and characterize as being false flag attacks that Russia was orchestrating in order to bring in draconian legislation. And, I believe his book is even titled something like something, something inside job. Like he's, he uses the term false flag multiple times in his book. He uses the phrase inside job when referring to these attacks. The most fascinating thing to me, however, though, about that story and about Anna Polovskaya's death, she was shot and killed in, in her apartment building lobby or something. And she was just a journalist who was critical yeah of the Putin regime. But again, that's all we heard in the media is that she was critical of the Putin regime. In reality, she was actually extremely focused on presenting, trying to present a case that the Russian government had staged these terrorist attacks, et cetera, et cetera. But in the U.S. media, that part of the story was never mentioned. It was only about how these journalists and this guy was critical of Putin and, you know, the Russian government probably assassinated them although it was never like that overt in the u.s media it was just sort of hinted at and floated out there yeah you know what's funny is that kind of the similar way that robert kagan the the gross neoconservative who's like involved in the new pnac the fpi kind of similar to how he boasts about a bilateral like you know foreign policy agenda with Democrats and Republicans who like work together kind of similarly the neocons including Jamie Kirchick have openly talked about how Russia like like did false flags with that but it's like they're like vehemently like you guys are conspiracy theorists like lunatics if you ever talk about our government ever doing anything like that here yeah it's like this weird like knee-jerk thing but it's like but it's but you're openly talking about that strategy being used in russia well that's the fascinating thing is that you could argue that a lot of truthers here and we've talked about this a lot that they go too far and they make overly simplistic sort of catchy sounding dumbed down arguments to try to you know, get people captivated, you know, like why did the buildings fall so fast or the buildings fell the speed of gravity or just like little phrases that are really oversimplified and don't really provide, you know, an intelligent argument. So in a weird way, you know, in this, we've mentioned this too, is that like Jamie Kirchick was this sort of almost weird doppelganger of you when he, when he, (laughs) when he attacked you, like we didn't really, we weren't really paying attention to him before that. And once we did, we're like, wow, yeah, there's a lot of parallels here to you. So in a weird way, there are some parallels, like you just mentioned, that they, the neocons specifically will bring mm-hmm, up mm-hmm. this really sensationalist 
sort of gut level stuff, you know, that Russia kills journalists, they do false flag attacks. And that's kind of, it's like a weird doppelganger sensationalism yeah. to like the 9-11 truth. But I'm them. a lunatic for bringing yeah. up anything like that here. And, and another thing that bothers me about this whole wave of demonization against Russia, the problem that I have is that once again, you have like all of these journalists who have like shunned RT, like refused to go on the network. It's dirty. It's this, like it's propaganda. And it's like, this is actually the time where you should be going on the network and promoting the network. Like when an entire country is being demonized into like a new wave of a new cold war and all these like hostilities are like, all these tensions are coming up. Like that is when I would be more interested in like, what is this network saying? Or like refusing to like, for instance, refusing to go on RT. And this, and this came about after the Crimea thing. So it wasn't like, you know, they didn't care after the Georgia thing. Even though in a lot of ways that was a pretty similar incident yeah. to the Crimea thing, except they didn't, I don't know if they annexed any land, but no, I think that's, and that's, and that's the tragic thing about this. And I guess in a way you could almost, to oversimplify it, you can almost just deduce it to like, on and I guess like almost like partisanship, like not that a lot of these liberal people are still like Obama supporters necessarily, but I think a lot of them are sort of tricked or lulled into believing that when these sort of incidents arise or these like, you know, Russia yeah. pitted against the United States, when these things arise, they are not manufactured in the same way they were under Bush. Like they're mm-hmm. more legit, you know, they don't look at them with the same skepticism. Right. And I think that's part of the problem is like with just, and that goes back to what we were saying before is when under Bush, you could point to it and be like, that's propaganda. Like there's no question. And I think that people do not, are not as skeptical now. It's or then a lot you have more the, cloudy, yeah. And then you have the complete other side of it where just people don't believe anything. Right. You know, like I don't think anything in the news is true. You right, know, right, right. Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And that's and that's I just it's just sad to me that people really bought into the, all that hype. But it's not organic. It's not coming no, from No, that's what bothers it's me. It's coming from a place I do think there is was a rallying that occurred sort of behind the scenes. And this is, I can't prove this, but from what you've, you know, yeah. you've heard to the grapevine, you're in yeah. DC, you know, some of these people, or you just know, you know, you're mm-hmm. connected to this larger network. I do think that there is along with these sanctions. So when the United States sanctioned Russia for the Crimea annexation, there was at the same time, something that happened behind the scenes that wasn't, in public where a lot of the oligarchs in the United States, a lot of the the rich investors, sort of the more, maybe even more liberal leaning ones who are connected to the Obama administration or helped get him into office. A lot of those people sort of started to create their own, maybe in ter- sort of like secret sanctions, like a soft sanction, mm-hmm. like don't go on RT. We're not going to make a public announcement about this, but we'll just sort of tell our whole company, don't go on RT. Don't associate with people on RT. Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So those things I think definitely happened. Don't you think that and, it's just interesting because by proxy, they're demonizing all of us. It's like you're demonizing also, an entire news network just because the U.S. government's demonizing Russia. Yeah, it's like, like don't you domino. think that that's insane? It's like you're supposed to be adversarial against the U.S. government. So why why go along with that at the same right. time the U.S. government is? That's the bullshitty thing. And you can really all trace this back to um, sort of like the same the same anti-RT propaganda that Jamie Kerchick wanted to drum up. I mean, in essence, they're all sort of going along with that wave. And that's the sucky thing is that like, 
it's because it, it was illegitimate, you know, it wasn't for the right reasons. Like if people wanted to just go along with it for the Crimea annexation and whatever, that's fine. But I don't think that's what it was down no. to. It just turned into this like really low level sort of over exaggerated, you know, this is just all Kremlin propaganda. And I don't it, know. I mean, it it, is, it's, it, it's tragic, but. Another thing that I've been wanting to talk about is, uh, the torture report, because here you have this, this document that's, first of all, it's so hyped up. It's been like five years in the making and Diane Feinstein, you know, they got spied on by the CIA and that's how much the CIA was trying to like prevent the torture report from coming out. And then you have like a 6,000 page report, but you can only read like a little synopsis, heavily redacted. And it was so funny to me. I mean, it, it, first of all, it's great that people are talking about torture. Don't get me wrong. Like I love when at least people care or feigning interest or, you know, sincerity that they at least care the fact that this government had like an institutionalized top-down torture program and these war criminals are running around. Like, that's great that you're bringing this up again. And it's great that the media is talking about it again. But it was really interesting to see them bring up the torture report as if, first of all, it was all new information. And all the information that came out was actually a watered-down version of way worse shit that we knew like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like all the Abu Ghraib shit. I mean, in the torture report, everyone was freaking out. They like honed in on two things. One guy who died on a, it was horrible. It was a horrible story. He died in this prison facility called Cobalt in Afghanistan or something. Some like dungeon-like facility died from hypothermia on a cold, wet floor. Like terrible shit. Glenn Greenwald pointed out in like 2009 that over at least a hundred people have died in CIA custody that we haven't even like, we don't even know their names. Like, who are all these people? How come that wasn't brought up? Like, yeah, it was this one guy who we know of now is terrible, but there's been hundreds of people that have died under U.S. custody in this torture program. Another thing that they kept pointing out was the threats of rape, threats of rape. They threatened to rape people and everyone was like, oh my God, that's so crazy. And I was just like, wait, not only have we raped people, not we, not only have sociopathic, psychotic soldiers raped prisoners with poles and all this shit but they have photos of it like they have fucking photos of them raping them Pixar didn't happen they can like look back at their reunion and like look at the fucking photos of them like raping people yeah. in Abu Ghraib well, so it was just a weird kind of spinoff that I was just like why isn't like this is great that people are talking about this again but why are they only talking about this kind of surface level stuff you know well, and and again, I mean, I, I hate to use the phrase "limited hangout," but I mean, I do think <laughs> I do think occasionally the U.S. government will let something come out that will make people really outraged, but it's contained outrage that won't really be able to affect anything really that big. And I think this is one of those cases. It's kind of like when everybody got outraged over the WMD lies. I mean, what did that really amount to? Nothing, you know. It never really cut to the heart of how the whole war on terror narrative was completely bullshit yeah it, it makes people feel like oh man well they lied about wmds it's like if they didn't lie about wmds would that be a reason to invade iraq like if iraq had wmds would you have supported the war exactly then? no exactly. none of it makes any sense it's like you should not support war ever like i mean unless a country's like fucking like using nuclear bombs or like about to like drop a nuke or some shit like no never okay just having weapons does not make it legitimate to invade a sovereign nation and kill a million fucking people of course ever yeah and, and ever and what's what's funny to me i mean it's not funny at all it's disgusting and really horrifying but the torture <laughs> report 
you know, everybody's so outraged about this rectal rehydration, which just yeah. sounds like I don't even know that existed before that. You know, that's ridiculous. However, in 2004, you know, we didn't have photos of this and we didn't have, you know, any proof of this. But the guy who revealed the Mylai massacre and the Abu Ghraib torture scandal, he said on record, um, he was sort of Seymour asked. Seymour Hirsch? Yeah, Seymour uh. Hirsch. Um, he was sort of asked, like, well, what, what you know, what's, what's going to happen next? Like, what else is going to get disclosed? And he said, hmm, some of the worst things that happen you don't know about, okay? Videos. Um, there are women there. Some of them you may have read that they were passing letters out, communications out to their men. This is at Abu Ghraib. The women were passing messages out, messages out saying, please come and kill me because of what's happened. And basically Jesus. what happened is that these women who were arrested with young boys, children in cases that have been recorded, the boys were sodomized with the cameras rolling. In front of and the moms, worst yeah. above all of this is the soundtrack of the boys shrieking. And your government has this. They're in total error. It's going to come out. Um, yeah, just repeat what that is. Boys being raped with their mothers witnessing it, like on like... Soldier, like soldiers were raping men. I mean, it's worse than like the, you know, like the Serbian film, like the, you know, you hear about all these like torture porn movies coming out and they just keep getting more extreme every year. I mean, this is shit that you, if it was in a movie, it'd be like outlawed, you know, like if someone made, <laughs> even like made a fictionalized it's like account, human it's like sallow mixed with fucking, yeah, it's like, I mean, it's insane. Yeah. This is like. So I'm sorry to people who say, oh, our government would never do anything bad, like trying to, you know, killing thousands of their own people. I, yes, they would. They have no problem I mean, what killing is worse millions than this? of people. What is worse than this right. shit? It's just like. Yeah. And, and there's and there's thousands of these videos and, and photos, by the way. Obama's sitting on like, I think he was maybe not thousands, but hundreds of like these Abu Ghraib photos that still haven't come out. That was one of the things he promised when he got into office that he was going to release a bunch of them. And then he made. That was like one of the concessions he made when he first got into office is he wasn't going to release it. But I think what also needs to be mentioned about the torture report, because this is something that I saw very few people mention when mm -hmm. it came out. And I think this is, it's extremely important. You don't have to be a truther. You don't have to be like a conspiracy theorist at all to like think that this is really integral to understanding how this shit went down. I mean, Marcy Wheeler, for example, she has written multiple times about how that a lot of the harsh interrogation techniques, torture, okay? A lot of the torture was done not to try to get information to stop attacks, but it was done to actually purposefully get false, false confessions yeah. so that they could use it in court to just like fucking, you know, again, like just grease the skids of the legal system and like not have to like be legitimate about it. So, I mean, just that alone, like, come on, like that's... And it's <laughs> yeah, and, and and what three quarters of the nine eleven commission was based on like all the footnotes of the nine eleven commission is based on testimony from torture. Apparently, from torture. Yeah, apparently it was only it was over one quarter okay. of it, but the quarter of it, you know, that the, the footnotes of the nine eleven commission. So you have to imagine the entire nine eleven commission goes through. A plethora of different subjects. There's there's a there's a chapter on the sort of the prehistory, you know, before 9/11 of Al Qaeda. Then there's a chapter on the 9/11 planning and who was involved. And then there's like a bunch of other chapters about what to do about airline security. So, a quarter of the footnotes for the entire book. I mean, that's still a lot because not all of it is going into, um, you know, these detainees. But apparently, a quarter of all the footnotes were based on 
actual torture. And they actually say that in the book. They don't use the word torture. They say that they can't determine the reliability. They have a disclaimer in the 9-11 Commission um, because they weren't given this information firsthand. They were not there at the interrogations. What they don't mention in the footnote is that not only were they not there at the interrogations, is they weren't even given transcripts or recordings of these interrogations. They were given handwritten reports or like, you know, typed out reports from these um, agencies that were actually not even done by the people doing the interrogations. They were like third hand passed down through the chain of command. And then like someone wrote a synopsis based on someone else's synopsis of an actual like interrogation transcript. And that's the, where the information comes from. And, you know, what kind of, you know, uh, so most of these footnotes were actually derived from the two people at Gitmo who were tortured the most. And that is Khalid Sheikh Muhammad and Abu Zabdaya. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah. They were waterboarded. Both of them were waterboarded over a hundred times. I think Khalid Sheikh Muhammad 183. was 183 and Abu, Abu Zab Zabdaya was... Maybe he was almost a hundred, like something like eighty something. Yeah, so, even even Philip Shannon, who's like a really mainstream reporter, said that the fact that like so much of the Nine Eleven Commission was based on torture testimony has quote troubling implications for the credibility of the commission's final report and quote its account of the nine eleven plot and Al Qaeda's history, which is really unfortunate because. Nafiz Ahmed wrote a great article about this um, called America's Committing Brutal Acts of Torture Right Now on Alternet. And he goes into so much. He goes into not only like all the stuff about 9-11 and Khalid Sheikh Muhammad, um, where he talks about how, you know, the torture of Khalid Sheikh Muhammad led to the discovery and thwarting, allegedly, of a plot to hijack civilian planes at Heathrow, crash them into airports, buildings into Canary Wharf. Like all of this was completely invented. All of it was provoked by torture all of it was complete, just like lunacy. I mean, they're really, all of this was fake, but like it didn't stop the establishment from parroting all the shit around the news at the time. Um, and it's really, really crazy. And, and I wanted to say something else about how Nafiz Ahmed um, points out something really interesting, like how people are applauding Obama for like, you know, ending torture with this executive order and like, yeah, we don't torture anymore, yay. But the problem is he really didn't end torture. And I'll explain why. Uh, first of all, the United, Con the, the United Conventions, UNCAT just had like their convention against torture hearings where all of these people like testified, like, you know, all these people who were tortured, all the shit. They kept, they, once again, they said, why isn't Gitmo closed? All this stuff. At the hearings, they basically talked about how the U.S. government has only banned on paper torture at facilities like under on like under the management of us which does not include black sites which is where all this shit happened in the first place most of this shit happened at black sites so it's like yeah the torture reports yeah you can focus on the torture report and you can applaud obama for any torture but we still haven't banned torture at black sites do you understand you well, understand i mean and that's the classic idea of rendition was pretty much that's what it is it's like and then but black sites are black sites like we don't really know you know we haven't been given like a audit you know the u.s congress hasn't even like been like yeah like tell us exactly who staffed this black site 
um, you know, if it's any U.S. military helping run this black site, et cetera. Like, so it's just a mystery. I mean, we like, I, I probably these intelligence committees might know, but like, as far as we know, you know, it's just foreign foreign governments, right? Torturing people in these black sites. But that's what rendition that's has what always rendition been. Is. That's what, that's that's what, what Obama it was during... supposedly like signed an executive order about when he got in office is like ending rendition. And yeah. like, and so rendition has always been a, a means to be able to torture people. Yeah. And Otherwise, we just put them in like a, one of our facilities. UN Committee Against Torture. Sorry, not Convention Against Torture. And and what what Obama did, not Obama, but in 2006, revisions were made to the Army Field Manual. It's this thing called Appendix M, which talks about interrogation techniques that went far beyond like the Geneva-inspired restrictions of the original version of the manual, like back in 1956 or whatever, when when the ban against torture was like officially written up in a document, you know, and signed by all these countries and ratified. Basically, it's unanimous, like among civil rights people and human rights attorneys that force feeding is torture, that sensory deprivation is torture, that sleep deprivation is torture, that like um, solitary confinement is torture. All of these things are actually liberally practiced by U.S. prisons <laughs> and like continued at Gitmo. So it's like, Sure, under U.S. jurisdiction, we might not be waterboarding people right now at Guantanamo or like wherever, like the U.S. officially has like sanctioned prisons. But I mean, it depends on what you what you describe as torture. Like we do not understand that all of these things are still torture and they've been widely defined as torture. The Tokyo Conventions, I don't know when that was, but they said that force feeding was torture like a long ass time ago. Hasn't phased us. Yeah, I mean, there's so many problems with the U.S. prison system, and that's that's a huge one. And there's also the problem of, uh, I mean, I always think about this aspect of prison, and Norm MacDonald did a stand-up routine about this that's like, you know, it's pretty, like, crass, and, and it's, like, in his usual style. But, like, what's, you know, as a male, what's one of the scariest parts about going to just a U.S. prison? It's getting raped. Um and like one of the only ways, if you, especially if you go to some of these more kind of hardcore prisons, to avoid that is to actually join a racist gang in prison. I mean, so that's like normal for a U.S. prison system. So that, I mean, that alone is pretty fucking disturbing that that's sort of like the norm is that guard, prison guards look the other way. A lot of the times in these more, these prisons in like more densely populated metropolitan areas where there's a lot of crime are like there's like multiple prisoners per cell, you know, just hanging out like in there for murder and stuff. And like, it's just, yeah, our prisons are deplorable, you know? I mean, yeah, we have different levels of, uh, of like, you know, comfort in prison, but in general going to prison would be awful, not because of like the sentence or necessarily even some of these, like, you know, like you don't even think of like solitary confinement, although that would be awful too. It's like, just having the guards look the other way and like letting you literally get raped in prison yeah. and like be like getting your ass kicked, yeah, like you know, someone's bitch. So it's, it's fucking terrible. Yeah. But going back to what you said about like why torture is used, it's not just, see, people are missing the point when they talk about, Oh, well, torture doesn't work. First of all, even if it did work, how could it ever be condoned? That's one thing like that. I just, it irritates me when people are like, torture doesn't work. It's like, well, if it fucking did, would you, would you support it then? Like that doesn't make any sense. But here's the thing is that our government CIA military apparatus has always known that it, quote, doesn't work. So 
what has been the purpose of using torture. This has been going on for fucking generations. And it all goes back to knowing that it led to false confessions, knowing that it was like a psychological tool to coerce like fake information, propaganda information. And we learned that from the Soviets. I mean, this is this has been going on for so long. It just bothers me that like people just kind of tack onto these like really superficial like talking points about even torture. Well, it's not even in, it's not even going back to the Soviets. I mean, I think it's almost goes back to like ancient parables. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, they're, it's sort of like a Joseph Campbell style thing. Cause it's like, you are literally forcing someone to abandon. It's like, it's not just like that. It's like at the heart of a lot of this sort of mythical or like the storytelling when it comes to like torture, it's not about the physical torture. It's about like you're breaking down the man to make them mm-hmm. sort of admit, you know, to, like you're destroying their pride. You're yeah. destroying their soul, you know, who they are. Like, so yeah, like there's a, there's a scene in Star Trek The Next Generation that's I'm sure goes back to some sort of like old piece of literature or something where like Captain Picard is being tortured <laughs> by a, by a, a Cardassian dude. And the whole time he's torturing him, he's doing some sort of like electro torture, yeah. like through his brain or something. But then, and then he just keeps shocking him over and over again. And he's, and he's making, he wants Captain Picard to say that there are three lights on the wall instead of two. Yeah. And that's like the whole episode is just this like weird psychological game he's playing where he's making him essentially just lie, yeah, like yeah. say something that's not true. And that's all he wants him to do is just like break down his soul. And I think that that's, like, that's not, you know, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's not out of the norm. It's not even weird that the U.S. military would, that's what right. they would mostly use torture for is to just simply get people to say things that are not true. And I don't know, like the, the um, even Lawrence Wilkerson, um, he, he testified under oath that he believes pretty much everybody in Gitmo is innocent. And the only reason 100%. that we keep them there is for PR reasons. We don't want to release them because it'll be a PR disaster for us. I say this all the time and I need to, it bears repeating. John Bellinger, he was one of the chief architects of the drone policy um, under Bush. And he came out to a think tank in DC like a year and a half ago. And it's on the Guardian. I mean, this is not like fake. (laughs) And this is not like just in like the fringe alternative media. This is like literally, you probably even watch the speech. But he said, Obama... First of all, Obama's not closing Gitmo because he just doesn't want to deal with it. And he's just opted to kill people with drones now because he doesn't want to deal with Gitmo. Like, think about that. Like, yeah, we're all up in arms about Bush and the torture. Honestly, at the end of the day, I'd still rather be tortured and be alive than be dead. You know what I mean? Like right now, Obama just literally kills people. At the end of the day, I would rather... I mean, yeah, you're traumatized for life and like really fucked up and, you know, God knows what happened to you, but you're still alive. You have your life. Under Obama, you don't get that. And I just can't believe that there are actually still people out there. Like I saw that fucking asshole Eli Lake on an old Democracy Now clip saying that, I mean, it wasn't Democracy Now. It was like his appearance on Chris Hayes' show on a round table with a bunch of other people. And he was, and Amy Goodman was arguing with him and he was sort of like, well, you know, Amy, like a lot of people do really actually support like that Obama wants is is killing terrorists with these drone strikes. And like, because it's a war, you know, it's a war. And What's it, a war? This idea that of drone strikes, uh, that's the war on terror, oh, right? right? The terror, yeah, yeah. So, but it's just like <laughs> all this 
the stuff that's done because of this war, I mean, it's not a war. That's no. the thing. It's a, it's a, it's a totally false like rationalization. It's a psyop on all of us. Yeah, for torture, for the drone wars, which is a completely open, endless battlefield that can be anywhere in the world. So, and then this idea of enemy combatants. Well, if it's a war, then why are they not given like Geneva Conventions and treating like prisoners of war? I mean, oh, but they're enemy combatants. They're like, right, right, you right, know, right. they're nation stateless. Yeah. They're like... You know, they're soldiers for jihad. They're like, whatever. It's like, no, I mean, I don't know. It's just crazy to me that we've accepted all of this bullshit logic on, like, piled on top of each other. And it is just like a rickety, like, balsa wood, like, house that's about to fall over. I mean, it's, it's like lie upon lie upon lie upon lie upon lie. And I'm sure the viewers or the viewers, the listeners <laughs> of this podcast and the viewers of my show don't necessarily watch the mainstream media all the time. I am unfortunately forced to because I'm like literally surrounded by giant TVs showing all the corporate media channels. But when the torture report came out, every single channel had Hayden, I mean, like, you know, Cheney, like every single person that was essential in crafting and and like justifying the torture just on talking about why the torture was necessary. Yeah. None of this will ever be questioned in the establishment press. And it is just really fascinating to see that these people are still given platforms. Like they should be shamed. These people should be like shamed in a corner and never allowed to leave their houses, like let alone invited and paid to be consultants and contributors on the MSM. I know. It's vile. One of the strangest examples, I think, of the, the the idea that the 9-11 commission report is is fatally flawed because of it's based on torture is that Rachel Maddow actually was one of the ones who covered that when it came out. That like in, in 2008, I think it was revealed, you know, and a lot of different journalists, some of them in the mainstream, some, you know, more in the left were picking up this idea because it was like, it sort of blew the 9-11 commission out of the water. But yet Rachel Maddow will go on and hold up the 9-11 commission and say it's her favorite book. Cause that it's a little cartoon. It shows the whole account of 9-11 and yada, yada. And it's like, well, and, and, and the sad thing again is that people who absorbed the 9-11 commission when it first came out they're most of those people aren't going to see that story later yeah. or it's not even going to matter to them. They'll just believe it. And at the same time, like I was trying to explain this to John Gold is that even if you destroy, knock down the 9-11 commission, a lot of the same stuff that went into the 9-11 commission was also leaked and filtered out in the media and all these other different ways. So a lot of that torture interrogation information was probably leaked to reporters, was probably leaked to authors of these books, you know, like the guy who wrote The Looming Tower is considered this sort of like you know, very studied, thorough account of like Al-Qaeda's history leading up to 9-11. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, the narrative was put out in all these different ways. It's not just an 11 commission. So there's like probably tons of shit about the history of this jihadist network that is completely tainted by torture. I mean, for all oh, we know, it's yeah. all oh, from yeah. torture that we're getting. And going back to Hollywood and stuff, you know, we're talking about like George Clooney and you have like kind of this liberal bastion of Hollywood that, you know, is for causes in Darfur and like the genocide going on in like Africa and all this stuff. And like, that's great. You know, that's great that you're bringing light to these causes and stuff. But then again, you have kind of the same players perpetuating a lot of very dangerous propaganda too. And I hate to say the word dangerous because that's like a really slippery slope word, but I mean just super ridiculous propaganda. Angelina Jolie with the new movie Unbroken. You know, like you think of her as like this human humanitarian. She's going over to Syria and helping all these refugees. Like that's great. And, and more power to her. And I really like Angelina Jolie. I think she's a badass. But then I saw that she was doing this movie and I like can't escape it. It's everywhere. It's this 
fucking trailer of this guy. And, it, and it's a true story, apparently not true to the sense that like the script is, you know, accurate and like this is everything that happened, but like general theme, like this guy was a triathlon or something or like some like track star, he was like an, Olympic. an Olympian. Yeah. And then he fought and he was like going to World War II and like his plane crashed and then he survived on a raft for a month and then got, uh, he was a POW all right, we going off of what we know that the U.S. military has done to prisoners, seeing a movie where you're kind of resurrecting all of this hatred and like demonization of Japan, especially in light of the, the episode we just did about Hiroshima and Nagasaki and how complete blatant acts of terrorism dropping the bombs were. And to kind of see like this resurrected, like in the holiday season, like remember how fucked up the Japanese were and like how justified that war was and how like, it's just weird. It's like, why would you make a movie about that? I don't know. No, I, I do think it's weird. And it's it's just kind of dumb. It's like, you know, tackle- it's easy. It's fucking easy. That's what it is. She did a movie about, um, I think she did a movie about Kosovo. And that, you know, that sounds more interesting to me because that's like an obscure sort of yeah. area of the world that most people don't really know much about. And like, I'm all for like making politically, you know, even maybe positions I disagree with, but making political movies that, you know, sort of present a different view of things or something that's not really being covered, you know, taking the opportunity to make a film about an issue that's not something that's like already been done to death. You no, know? like saturated so much like in history books. And we all know like, yeah, we dropped the bombs. Yay. Hurrah, yeah. America. I mean, that, would like, be, why? that would be a great movie to make about like the people who made the bombs and like sort of presenting it from this sort of like cold perspective, you know, like why don't not- we actually make a movie about what really happened? Is that like we treated the entire Japanese population like lab rats? Like we didn't even tell them that it was nuclear yeah. and like radioactive oh, and we just yeah. like studied the population and just saw generations like getting sick and dying. I mean, that would be far more interesting to me. And we fucking <laughs> robbed the shit out of the Japanese population here on the West Coast. Oh my God, the dude, the internment camps. How sad. Yeah. Um, and in, But here's an even more overt movie, which is hilarious. And I actually laughed out loud. Like mom and I were watching um, that movie with Jake Gyllenhaal where he gets like super thin and weird looking. Nightcrawler or whatever. Oh, was that good? Yeah, it was good. It was good. It was just yeah. like depressing because it really showed like the vile side of local news and like the, you know, gore porn and like chasing the story and not giving a fuck about like actual, you know, like how... There's just like all these soulless kind of plastic news people who are just reporting on like deaths and tragedies without any emotion or anything. And they're just like care about getting the next big story and being the first and stuff. And we saw this preview and it started off as a soldier like positioned from some like you could tell it was like in the Middle East. And the soldier's like sitting there with like a sniper rifle. And all of a sudden this little boy comes out in front of his mother And the mother's like holding the boy in front of her, like total human shield mythology, hundo percent, like a super (laughs) weird human shield style. Like, I was just like, what the fuck is this? And then like the whole movie's premised around like, apparently like he killed this kid or something because he like had to, or maybe he didn't. But the whole movie is like, oh my God, like, first of all, let's be honest, that would never even really come on. Once you're like, condition in that setting you really think you'd fucking like think twice about like killing a kid if you thought that it was like he had like some sort of incendiary device that was going to kill you or like your fellow soldiers fuck no come on so already it's just like super dumb that you're like oh like now he's struggling with all the shit for the rest of his life and like it's so hard for him because he had to kill this guy 
this little tiny boy and all this stuff. It's all these layers of propaganda about human shields. And then all of a sudden the movie title comes on. It's American Sniper directed by Clint Eastwood. And I was just like, oh my God, this is so awful. Same day as Unbroken's coming out in theaters is like this ridiculous propaganda movie about like human shields and like how great American military is. Yeah, you know, it's weird. There haven't really been, to this day, there really haven't been that many like really either critical of U.S. foreign policy movies or like ones that are just sort of like not taking the pro-American side, just like random. Like, have you seen Three Kings, the movie Mm -hmm. about uh, the first Iraq war? Like someone should just make a movie about like some American soldiers trying to do like an opium heist or something where they just like get, you know, like do some sort of like massive drug deal in Afghanistan. Yeah, I mean, they're just, it's just so funny that they're, we, Americans don't, American movie studios at least don't even touch, you know, everybody says Hollywood is so liberal, but yet they still don't make movies that are that critical of the U.S. military. Totally exemplified go, in the leak. Look at Transformers, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, Like yeah. how fucking like pro-U.S. military that is and just how like stupidly, you know, U.S. military oriented all of our movies are. I mean, yeah. like even the Avengers had like a very U.S. military sort of theme. And at then, least like, Captain America was like kind of similar to like, a thread that's going on about like, oh, you the saw drones the second and one? stuff. Yeah, Winter Soldier. Good. Yeah, that was like trying to be like, yeah, Obama. Uh, yeah. Like in the way that was like actually like probably the most cutting political movie. Yeah, like, I like that one. Since V for Vendetta almost, Yeah, oh God, yeah. Way. But yeah, you're right. And and for people who say like, oh, ho- liberal, you know, liberal media and Hollywood's so liberal and da, da, da. It's like, well, first of all, no, they're not at all. And, and totally exemplified in the leak is that like you saw executives talking about how they didn't want to say like it was a political movie. Like even Glenn Greenwald's book that they were buying a movie about, they were like, yeah. we didn't want, we, they omitted the word political from the press release. Yeah, yeah. Like how, like that shows you how these people operate. Like they yeah, do yeah. not want to piss off the government. You think that it's just like the media vetting with the government with these stories? Yeah. Like, of course, Hollywood consults with the government about all this shit. Like, we already know that the government will give you props. Yeah. Like, literal props if you want to do, like, a, a movie about American Sniper or whatever. Like, they will give you military equipment. Yeah. But they have to vet the script. Yeah. Oh, of course. And it's like, I mean, someone called me a conspiracy theorist for suggesting that Google was on the phone with someone from the U.S. government when they decided to put up for the Sochi Olympics you know, on their own, they decided to put up this sort of rainbow flag gay pride thing. And, you know, I mean, yeah, sure. That's great. If a company wants to do that, I'm totally behind that. However, it didn't seem like they were doing it just on their own accord. It seemed like a coordinated campaign. And it also was just like when, like Google has never really like stepped into a political issue like that before. (laughs) It was just, it was just odd. Well, Google is also the number one lobbyist in DC and they have surpassed big pharma all the defense companies, all the, I mean, they are, this company is the number one lobbying force on the Hill right now. And it's like, it's different than saying like, oh, well, just don't use Google. You can't just not use Google. Like, sure, you can use another search engine or not use Gmail, but that's not the point. The point is that Google has infiltrated the planet, like satellites in space. I mean, they're going, there are no bounds for them. No. They've, they've gone, you know, if you're an artist, that's awesome. Like if Google was some sort of like experimental artist, it'd be beautiful. You know, like they'd be doing all these, like if they would have like no limitations, they'd be yeah. doing like every genre of art you can imagine. But like they're a private corporation that is like taking over every genre of like, not taking over every genre of private industry, but they're trying to put their, they're like, they were trying to put their tentacles literally everywhere. 
you know, to be on the cutting edge. They're trying to do robotics now. They're trying to do space travel. They're actually funding one of the probably the most likely, you know, candidate to be the world's first like real quantum computer, which is a mm -hmm. computer that can instantly crack any encryption code. You know, it goes oh, great. It um it uses like quantum uh, uh I don't even know what I'm going to say, but uh yeah, it, so like Google is insane. It's like yeah, you insane. can't opt out of Google Earth. Yeah. Like I I mean or even Street View. You have yeah, to actually, yeah, yeah. there are countries that I think have actually banned Street View. As well they should. It's yeah. just a really fucking creepy thing that we, like, even if you don't have surveillance cameras on your street, you have a fucking Google Earth Street View shit that you have, like, images of your windows and your house and, like, cars parked in front of your house. It's just, this is the world we're living in now, man. I know police departments have already tested out like a lot, like interactive Google street view type thing to try to catch crime real time, which sounds absurd. It sounds like a minority report style thing where you can be like watching like a giant fucking like Fox News style Shepard Smith screen and be like following criminals as they go about their daily business. And it's just like, dude, this is just a really slippery slope. Like the fact that you are just like watching a city in real time, like mm -hmm. that is insane. Yeah. And it's it's interesting to me. I was just like thinking about what effects the Edward Snowden leaks could have, like maybe negative effects on society. And this is just like an inadvertent consequence sort of of like what those leaks could have done. And, you know, imagine if you're like a just like a police detective, you know, on a local police force and you were trying to, you know, get some evidence to convict a, a criminal and you didn't have quite enough, but you thought if you just had a little bit more, you could like totally have this case in the bag. Wouldn't you want to like have access to the stuff that the NSA has and, and have access to like people's Google Gmails or search history? And like, so like, I can't even imagine how many local law enforcement agencies after the Snowden leaks broke have like been clamoring to try to get some sort of line to the NSA or, mm -hmm. or that intelligence apparatus, of the United States government. So that's even scary to me because that relationship is going to get closer and closer over time. You know, if it isn't already, so like Google street view, you know, you're, the police force's own version of Google street view is one thing, but imagine if uh, cops can just illegally wiretap Gmail, you know, yeah. in the future, just like the NSA already does. Like, so it's, it's just, fucking it's there yeah there are no limitations for how but of course people look at it differently because they're like oh it's like a company don't do evil yay it's not the nsa i wanted to segue over to cops because we're talking about police and what i've noticed and it's actually not too surprising but very disturbing and it never ceases to amaze me even though i'm not like totally shocked is that you have a whole segment of people and, and Robbie and I voted for Ron Paul. Like we, you know, we consider ourselves probably like social libertarians and, and some issues, you know what I mean? Um, so we get it. Like we get like the libertarian ideology and stuff. And that's why it bothers me so much when people are just like, Oh, like I wish that you just like took economics one-on-one and like read some Mises Institute shit. And I'm like, you don't think that I did that? Like I voted for Ron Paul. Like I understand like the whole economic ideology between libertarianism. Like I just personally don't agree with it because I've, I just don't. Yeah. It's very strange. It's like, you can have all these people like be like very anti-state, like a hundred percent, like we shouldn't have a state, like state should be extremely limited police, like almost like anarchistic, like police should not, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like cops are fucking shouldn't exist and all this stuff. And then you can just have them knee jerkily defend police every time, like a, 
black guy dies. Give me it's an example really of what weird. you're talking about. Because I, I guess, are you talking about like more right wing leaning libertarians? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen that. I mean, I think that's what's so weird to me, though. It's just like, well, well, I do think that after you know how it's like now people, you know, and I see people that I like, like I've seen, I think like, you know, some people like in the emo prog radio hour, like the, some of the the hosts of that show, like they've they've openly called like libertarian as a generally like racist sort of belief system, or that like a lot of like mo like libertarianism, libertarians are racist kind of a thing, and. I do think that now a lot of that is actually true. It's become true. And it wasn't necessarily true when we were, when we first sort of mm -hmm. got interested in it. I mean, there, and then, but no, I mean, admittedly, there always was some weird crossover between like white supremacists, sort of leaning right wing people and libertarians. So that actually existed, like paleo conservative, you know, sort of where Ron Paul actually comes from. Like there is some of that there. However, I mean, what attracted me to libertarianism in the first place was its stance on American foreign policy. And to me, that was actually like anti-racist, you know, like it was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was like based in this idea. It wasn't just like this is going to cost us money. It's like, why should we be able to tell, you know, this society that's not like ours what to do or how to behave, you know, and then kill thousands of their civilians to try to prove to them why we're right. Right, right, right. And that was like the direction that people like um, like Harry Brown came from, for example. And yeah, a lot of his economic shit was a little wacky and and seemed a little too trusting of like, you know, the system to just sort of work things out on its own kind of a thing. But again, like I, I was so inspired by his foreign policy approach that I didn't, you know, consider myself like a dyed-in-the-wool libertarian who was going to follow, right. you know, along with all this stuff. But... Yeah, it is like, it's almost like, um, that's almost kind of become kind of kryptonite-y. Like it's this big divide now. But what, you know? here's, what's bo here's what bothers me about the divide. People like say that I'm like race baiting because I, you know, I talk about how disgusting it is that like Eric Garner was fucking assassinated on camera and like the cop wasn't indicted or like I bring up statistics about race because fucking, you know, America... African-Americans make up only 14% of the U.S. population yet constitute almost half of the prison population. Like clearly, unless you're just mythologizing like racist things about criminality and poverty, like clearly you understand that there's some sort of institutionalized like over-policing and like class warfare going on. Yeah, of course. So to me, like calling me a race baiter for just bringing up those things is not true. What I think is race baiting is when people just vehemently defend cops, even though you know that they're like anti-status and shit, and here's what bothers me the most. Two of the, like, the, the most organic kind of mass movements that have happened in the last decade or since 9-11, Occupy Wall Street and now this police stuff where you see like people shutting down freeways, like protesting about Michael Brown, Eric Garner, like New York, people are like shutting down, you know, the Brooklyn Bridge and shit like that's huge, you know? And I see the same people who mocked Occupy mocking all of this stuff and it just bothers me because it's like, look, I get if you don't necessarily agree with like the core ideology of like, let's like crush capitalism or whatever. Like, I get that. But this is a mass movement that's like one of the only like organic movements that we're seeing right now. Like, get involved. Like, go add your voice to it. It might might come from a place of racism to, for some of those people, but. <laughs> and it's like this vehement hatred against people who like criticize capitalism, too. That I think is a, is a, yeah, that's a newer divide that I think 
kind of came out of the sort of like tea party co-opting, you know, like the communism, socialism. It bothers me. Oh, it bothers me too. And, but the thing is, it's like whoever want, you know, like I've sort of let go of that, I guess, because that that's like irreparable. I don't think we're ever going to get that back. It's like almost like the, the right wingers who fall for the sort of like, you know, right wing divide and conquer tactics, like have been basically exposed themselves. Like they've, they've exposed themselves. And that's, that's, I guess the positive thing out of it is that, you know, if you trusted some of these people before, you know, you thought they were like above this kind of shit and the partisan back and forth, look, you know, just look at who over the last six years have gotten on board this idea that Obama is a socialist, radical <laughs> communist. Who's from Kenya. Yeah. Any of that shit. And then, you know, that they're fucking phonies. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's like, that's bullshit. I mean, that's just going after him for completely the wrong reasons. There right. are plenty of totally legitimate reasons to hate Obama. I yeah. mean, let's face it. Like, I, I, I don't necessarily hate him, but like, I can understand what people do for his like foreign policy. I mean, especially if you live in the Middle East or, you know, live in Pakistan. But it's like, instead of just jumping the defense and like jumping down all of these things that are happening and making fun of them, even if you totally believe that Darren Wilson and all these cops are like in the right, even if you believe that, if you at all think that the police forces in America are getting a little bit scarily, cartoonishly stormtrooper like, characters of themselves, then this is an opportune time for you to actually change the conversation. And we can be like, okay, let's galvanize the public to try to end the 1033 program. Like let's stop allowing the federal government to supply all of local police forces across the country with excess military equipment. Like let's change that discourse so we can actually narrow it and do something about it because this can happen on a local level. Like and I know that everyone can agree with that. Like, really, I think the root of this is the militarization of police. Like, police are now trained as soldiers. They're trained to no longer be peace officers, to no longer, quote, serve and protect. They're trained to just, like, shoot first, ask questions later. Not just shoot once, but eight, nine, ten times. That's what bothers me. It's like, let's let's get involved because clearly this crosses all political divides right now. Who wants to see cops acting like this? And I mean, and I do, and I I hate to sympathize with the right in any way about the racial shit because like, you know, 99% of the time they're completely wrong and a lot of times they're coming from a place of racism. But I do think that the left is to blame to some degree, especially like the generic mainstream left, like places like MSNBC, who are deducing this sort of only to like a racial issue, you know? And they're yes. sort of, they're, but they're putting it through the echo chamber, which they're just not getting enough good perspectives on it. You know, they're sort of coming at it from this point of like white privilege. Like we're here to sort of like, you know, flex our sort of like understanding of like the black plight, but they're not really understanding it or portraying it. No, because if it. they were, you're totally right. But if you're looking at like pockets of like East Oakland or, you know, inner streets of Chicago or the Bronx and shit, and you're just like, yeah, black people are just like getting gunned down by cops. It's like, well, poor people are being so over policed and yeah i mean it's also like the fear of the black man if but it's also just like a lot has to do with poverty and institutionalized into the system that we're in and it's so difficult to talk about the root cause of this that it's just much easier to say black versus white and you know on shows like rachel maddow and chris hayes and to have like these panels without talking about okay how is the system creating this divide and that's what no one wants to talk about because it's just too hard 
Yeah. And I also, I think this needs to be brought up and I don't like, and and in no way am I trying to give any passes to like police who are openly racist or who call people mutts when they give them like a, you know, stop and frisk in New York city. I mean, that shit. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously clearly racist. There's no question about it, but I would argue that racism is not like the most, I guess the most important, it's not the most important issue for me at the root of this. I think that racism, a lot of, and a lot of these instances, especially with police, you know, it's always been there. And I think it was worse in previous eras in our history, obviously, like during the, yeah, when the course. police used to collude with the Ku Klux Klan and that kind of yeah, shit yeah. and lynch people. But now I think it's more a byproduct of, and there is real organic racism mixed in there, but I think it's more of a byproduct of just what you were saying, the militarization of police, but not just like their equipment and their, and their sort of like physical posturing, but it's like, yeah, it's the strategic and sort of the, the way that they've been indoctrinated now where it's like they use game theory to such an extent where they are like, you know, they have this tunnel vision where it's like, you know, a black male is more statistically more likely to like cause a problem or to commit a crime. So therefore a black male walking towards me on the street I'm going to be more likely to search him right. or find something suspicious about him. And I think even a black police officer is racist in that same way. But the, at the root of that problem to me is not racism. It's like you are taught to be like this sort of, you think in these tunnel vision ways when you're a police officer and it's done just to make their job easier and to keep them, it's for officer safety, you know, to like, and there's, and it ever increases over time. There's more things put into place to increase officer safety and sort of less things for our rights. You and know, they we, know our rights are eroding. And it's so much easier to just shoot, 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 because they know that the system's completely rigged where they will never get indicted. Yeah. I mean, like they just have these grand jury systems set up where they, an officer never gets indicted. So it's like, mm-hmm. even if you make a mistake or like, look at the Tamar Rice kid, that poor fucking like 12 year old boy who was just sitting milling around in a little park and some asshole called the police on him because he was just like some douchey dude. And it's like, dude, if you're so fucking threatened by this 12-year-old holding a toy gun, why are you just sitting in the park for like an hour with him? Like you would be like running away and calling the cops and being like, oh my God, like this kid has a gun. The guy called the cops and said, this kid has a toy gun. What looks like a toy gun? But he might be scaring people. And so the cops, what do they do? They fucking roll up into the park, like not even on the street. They just like straight up rolled up onto the park and just immediately within one second execute him. It was the craziest video I've ever seen. Like, it's insane. It's a no-brainer. Um, I don't even know what the fuck I was talking about with that or like how I started <laughs> to say that. But I guess, yeah, it's like, it's like, why not? Because you know that you're not going to get in trouble. Like, the system's just going to be like, well, you know, you thought it was a real gun. Like, what? You're not, you're not indicted. Like, you're fine. And even the Oscar Grant thing, like, you know, video cameras on police are great. Like, that should be a no-brainer, but that's not going to solve... The problem. And I think going back to the militarization thing, it's not just the 1033 program. It's not just the fact that Oakland police are trained with Bahrain and Israeli military. It's that. But it also goes back to this entitlement and American exceptionalism mindset. And that's why I really do think that the root cause of gun massacres here, not just gun violence, like I, I understand that there's gun violence, a plethora of gun violence happening all the time. And of course, People love to sensationalize like these mass shootings, but it is a very uniquely American problem. We have to admit that. Um, Finland and Switzerland has like half the amount of guns that Americans do and you don't ever hear 
about these kind of things happening there. So you have to ask yourself what culturally is breeding this kind of like exceptional mindset where you not only want to take yourself out, but you just want to kill a whole bunch of fucking people. And I really do think it's just this toxic military mindset, the military mind that Chris Hedges talks about. What is that doing to us? What is that doing to Americans when you live in a country that were like empire fucking babies where these infants who've never really experienced any like sort of trauma or warfare on our soil, 9-11 excluded. It's not, you know, but Architectural like, disaster really bad. Yeah, it's like a fucking yeah, it's like if if the buildings didn't fucking like collapse, <laughs> then like I mean, not that many people would have died, you know? Like so I mean, that aside, we just have no fucking idea what's going on and we just like have this imposition and what is that doing to us and how is that externally affecting like our surroundings and what is that doing to to people here who not only see this country acting with total impunity, just going around the world, like executing people with drones, like invading countries with total fucking impunity, like torturing with zero accountability, like having this mass torture program. No country can tell us what to do. We're using like banned fucking warfare, like DU, we're like blowing the shit up everywhere. No, like total impunity. We see that happening. Like how the fuck do you think people are going to act here? Do you think that's going to bleed into society? Yeah. Like how, what is that doing to us? And not only that, but then coupled with the fact that we are, we thrive on consumerism and like vacuous commercialism where we have like direct to consumer advertising with pharmaceuticals. One of the only two countries in the world that allows that mind you. So like that coupled with like being told constantly that we're like not good enough, that we need to look better, that like all these products we need to like look fucking good and we're losers and we don't have friends and like we need to buy this, we need to buy that to be happy. And it's all like, I think all of these things together breeds this very uniquely American problem. And people might disagree with me and I'm definitely not going to sit there and say it's guns or it's one thing or the other because I think it's a lot of things. And maybe that's why people don't really like to talk about this philosophically, but it is really fascinating when you look at things that are just unique to America, you know, and like what, what causes those things? Yeah. I mean, I do I completely agree that it's definitely, it's just, I was just thinking how amusing it was that during like the nineties when Mortal Kombat came out, there was like Senate hearings on like violence in video games yeah, and what yeah. kind of problem that's going to be for society. And, uh, but it's like, really, guys? Like, that's the yeah, problem. Yeah. It's not like <laughs> the violence that you are like enabling through like, <laughs> like kids being raised in an environment where it's cool that like your government just, you know, invading Panama and, you know, like bunning both Democratic sides of a war in the Middle East. And <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's just, do you think that might have something to do with like why we're so weird and overly like violent? Dropping and, nukes. We're like, yeah, dude, like yeah. we showed them. Like straight up. I mean, that's why the movie, I think, Return of the Living Dead is so good because it's like U.S. military, dude. And also like people who, you know, we grew up in the American dream mindset where people are told like, if you just work hard, you can be anything like you, 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 like this I, like you're the individual, like the state, like big brother, big government's horrible, like no social welfare, no healthcare, no free education, like work for everything. Like you got to work for it. When you work for it, then you deserve it. And then you'll be rich. And when people don't get that, when these fucking infant babies of the empire don't get what they're told that they're going to get, 
their whole lives, that has to manifest into some pretty fucked up ways too. It manifests either into like extreme like pharmaceutical use where you have 25% of the population taking five pills or more, like uh-huh. five different prescription drugs, or it manifests into like gun massacres or it can manifest into like, I mean, it's very, it's it's hard to pinpoint, but I just think there's a lot of problems with this country. Oh my God, you know? yeah. It's just unfortunate. And I, and I really do think it's it's overwhelming to think about it, but really the root cause of all of it, if I if I could point to one thing, it's it's empire, and it's imperialism, it's hegemony, and that's why I am so fucking passionate, passionately anti-war, and that's why I think like the root of so many problems is like not only the overt, catastrophic like consequences like mass casualties and deformities and like radiation poisoning and like all that shit like that is like the obvious consequences but it's the military mindset that breeds so many destructive problems and like the imperialistic like approach to how we should gauge world problems and like casting diplomacy aside and just like immediately reverting back to war and and the military industrial complex as eisenhower warned us like this shit is an autonomous machine there is no illuminati there is no new world order this is it's an autonomous machine of an empire working on its own. And yes. our country thrives on war. That's what we do. Yeah. And there are big players definitely like trying to guide that machine. But like ultimately it is the machine itself that's yeah. driving it. And I like to go back to like psychology um, sometimes when like talking about this kind of stuff. Cause we talk, you know, the, the phrase empire babies, I mean, there's a perfect psychological term that can sort of pinpoint a lot of these problems that America as a whole, like if you think about it as like this, you know, think about America as a personality, um, narcissistic personality disorder is a cluster B personality disorder. And this is from Wikipedia in which a person is excessively preoccupied with personal adequacy, power, prestige, and vanity, mentally unable to see the destructive damage they are causing to themselves and to others in the process. First formulated in 1968, NPD was historically called megalomania and is a form of severe egocentrism. (laughs) Totally summarizes so many people in this country who tell you like America, love it or leave it. Like you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. Like they hate our freedom, like all these babyish things that are just like, what? It just seems like America has this mindset and its population reinforces this to itself and others that we're the best. We can do no wrong. We're the freest country in the world. And we're the fucking best and don't fuck with us. And everything we do is justified because really in the grand scheme of things, Robbie, like, come on, like America is keeping the peace. And like, would you really rather live in Europe where, you know. And that's the delusion of like, you're living inside the empire. Therefore you cannot see the empire for what Mm -hmm. it is. It's like, it's, it's that dilemma. And I think that, even even people who are very anti-war, who are, you know, whatever, like people who present themselves as being very anti-imperialist and, and, and stuff like that, there is this fundamental nationalism that still tethers most people, I think, to a certain extent to believe in what you just said, too. That ultimately, when it comes down to it, there is sort of this neocon thread. And neoconservatism in a large part is based on that fundamental liberal principle of like freedom. Mm -hmm. Like we need to be free, but it extends outside, you know, 
our empire or whatever. I mean, not our, it extends outside of our actual country's borders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. We only, we only care. This is, this is an interesting thing from the narcissistic personality disorder. It goes along the lines mm -hmm. of only focusing in on countries that we want to take down, mm -hmm. you know, and talking about, Oh, we need to like protect their human rights in Russia, you know, or whatever. Um, says impairments in interpersonal functioning. One of them is empathy, impaired ability to recognize or identify with the feelings and needs of others, excessively attuned to reactions of others, but only if perceived as relevant to self over Ooh. or underestimate to relevant to self or underestimate of own effect on others. I don't know if that last part made sense. No, it's but. totally, you're, you hit it on the head. Um, Empathy, like what does nationalism do? Not only is it so toxifying in the sense that it perpetuates the empire and imperialism, but it also makes you not feel bad about the empire killing millions of people and all of these people dying that have no due process. And like, who are these people? What are their names? Why are we killing them? Like, why do they deserve to die? That is totally lacking. That is just like an accepted reality of being an empire baby. Mm -hmm. And I think at some point is that people have to die, Robbie, because of freedom. Yeah. And I think that I talked about this a little bit on the Clinton's war on terror episode that on the very last like diatribe I did at the end of it is that there is also there's a, there, like a lot of people when they learn about some of the stuff, they start to experience some cognitive dissonance where they're trying to sort of juggle these different things in their mind and sort of form their, you know, maybe part partially form their own opinions about how they view them, their country, you know, like, you know, when you learn about American history and you learn about some of the bad things we've done and, and stuff like that. Um, so there's like a, a sort of waking up process for most people. And, and most people end up just sort of going along with the sort of more, you know, typical narrative and believe most of the things that they are fed in history books. But I think that for a certain amount of people, there is like cognitive dissonance where they, they do this little dilemma or they have a dilemma in their minds where they start, you know, thinking about things. They maybe actually start to dabble into like, you know, more radical beliefs for a little while. Like I've even, I know some people who for, you know, a couple of years of their lives or maybe three or four years became pretty radical politically mm -hmm. and like were really open to believing a lot of pretty fringe kind of things and, mm -hmm. and really anti-US government. And then just sort of, they just sort of retracted a little bit over time and like, then they started to sort of like retreat into this more nationalistic posture than they had been before. So I think that that's interesting that people do that. And, and I think that it's, it's kind of like, that's sort of, you know, what, what we're up against also is that like people who know about all this stuff who aren't, it's not like they're ignorant to it. It's not like they're not aware of it. It's not like they can't even empathize with it like a lot of these people have been there before, you mm -hmm. know, like the conservative mm -hmm. before, you know, after 40, mm -hmm. if you, you know, yeah, you, don't yeah. you don't have a brain, if you're not conservative after 40, you don't have a brain or whatever. A lot of people sort of, I, that is like a common phenomenon. I've seen people sort of do that over time. And, and as long as they keep voting for the Democrats and Republicans, it doesn't matter because they, because the world will look at us and say, well, they're voting for it. Yeah. And, and the establishment will keep saying we have a great democracy. And, even if people know that it's so fucked up, they'll still revert back to the lesser of two evils mm -hmm. to keep those Supreme Court justices on so they can maybe not ban abortion. 
and you know just when people seem like they're waking up and things are getting you know the balance is tipping and like a, someone cre- creates a new reality, you know, another yep. Carl Rove who's another, you know, Carl Rove-esque person out there or a group of people out there are trying to figure out ways to, you know. Let's remind people about that quote because it is very surreal. Let's close out the show talking about this. So Carl Rove was talking to a New York Times reporter named Ron Suskin. I don't know the actual context of the discussion, yeah. but it starts with, in what we call the reality-based community, um, which he defined as people who, quote, believe that solutions emerge, emerge from a judicial study of discernible reality. That's not the way the world works anymore. We're an empire now. And when we act, we create our own reality. And while you're studying that reality, judiciously as you will, we'll act again, creating other new realities, which you can study too. And that's how things will sort out. We're history's actors, and you, all of you, will be left to just study what we do. That's Carl Rove. Yeah. In what, like 2005 or something? Uh, it doesn't say ex- what year like it is here. 2003 or something. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that, that, oh, there's the mindset right there. 2004. There's the mindset right there. Yeah. There's that military mindset. But it's even worse because these are like the operators. These are like the guys who are like. These are the spin masters yeah, these who are figure the out how to be the core. many steps ahead of even the most educated, most liberal, mm-hmm. most anti-U.S. military people out there. And that goes back to what we were saying earlier is how do all these people who seem like they would be smart enough to be, you know, to get clued in that trying to overthrow Assad is just as phony as trying to overthrow Saddam would be instantly clued into that. How are all these people going along with it? Well, it's this sort of explains it to me is that. You know, there are people out there who are trying very hard to create new reality paradigms so that they will be able to spin new narratives, you know, and continually try to like, it's an information war. I mean, and that's all it really comes down to is is like information wars playing a huge part in all of this. And it seems like that's what you and I end up talking about most of the time. Yeah, it's so fascinating. It's so fascinating because we're studying that reality right now. And we can't penetrated like we don't know who eli lakes and josh rogan's sources are right we don't like oh this is one thing we didn't mention about the north korean hacking uh bullshit theory that's being floated around out there not even being floated it's like everywhere it's yeah, being yeah, like yeah. you know obama said it was true so that's not just like that like whatever but the guy who originally leaked that i'm um, not leaked it but the guy who was his source leaked it to him through the media is a an anonymous named, government official. Is an anonymous government official, supposedly a guy from the FBI, told reporter David, is it David Sanger? Sanger. David Sanger that it was North Korea and they had evidence to prove it. So they decided to leak this through this reporter before it was officially announced by Obama. But what was strange about that is it's the same reporter who was, um, who about a year and a half ago, uh, a source, a similar source, who had something obviously to do with cyber terror in the U.S. government, l- leaked to him that the U.S. government invented Stuxnet and created it and spread it with Israel's help. So it's just weird to me that like that's the same guy. Like somehow he's got the cyber terrorism government official feeding him information. You know, one time to brag about this secret weapon we made, but you know Obama didn't actually officially confirm that he, they made Stuxnet, you know, but at the same time, that's sort of known now. Yeah. And how fucked up is that, that the U.S. government created a cyber like virus that shut down Iran's nuclear 
facilities. First of all, we all know if anyone's read Gareth Porter's work, and I'll link to it on the timeline, Iran is not trying to build a nuclear bomb. The only reason they're even posturing themselves is that so they can try to negotiate with the U.S. to end the sanctions on their country because they're crippling as fuck. So once again, we have like this kind of like diversionary thing that really isn't focusing on the fact that like Iran is actually like manufacturing this whole narrative so they can try to have a bargaining chip. So how fucked up is it that the U.S. government created a fucking like cyber warfare virus and fucking did all this shit and now we have the audacity to talk about cyber warfare. It's like, well, you guys created the blueprint for Stuxnet that who knows how many countries have picked that up and like created their own Stuxnet. Like, Oh, you, and you've been, you've been on this tip yeah. for years. Like I remember when you first started anchoring in Russia today, like you actually did a, a monologue that you wrote about mm -hmm. how they're going to try to issue or they're going to try to usher in new cyber legislation and pipe up this, you know, fake threat of cyber terror to do it. And you've been talking about that this whole time. And like, it's totally true. I mean, they jumped on this opportunity to blame North Korea and Barton Gelman and a reporter named Ellen Nakashima for the Washington Post released this article um, in August of 2013. So it's, you know, over a year old now um, that the headline is U.S. spy agencies mounted 231 offensive cyber operations in 2011. What? Um, and it, the, at a budget of uh, $652 million. Oh, great. So, yeah, let's worry about all these other... Let's worry about North Korea's fucking cyber terror operations yeah. <laughs> that don't even exist. <laughs> while we're just... Again, once again, it's another example of us just like, you know... It's like me thinks the, de the gentleman just, doth protest too much. It's, it's like, so wait, actually, we're the one who's been launching all these cyber attacks on everyone. That's the problem. Oh, of the 231 offensive operations conducted in 2011, the budget said nearly three quarters were against top priority targets, which former officials say include adversaries such as Iran, Russia, China, and North Korea. Oh, wow. What do you know? The new axis of evil. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool story, bro. I love it. Cool stories, bro. Yeah. Uh, I met one, one quick thing is that the spy museum in DC is like 100% like a fucking, if you want propaganda go to two museums, the museum, the Holocaust museum and, and the spy museum. Cause it's just like overwhelmingly insane. There's a whole <laughs> section about like Nazi propaganda. <laughs> and at the end of the exhibit, like you go through it and you're like, Oh, this is all really crazy. <laughs> and then you go to the end of it and there was like a little plaque on the wall to charge Ahmadinejad with incitement to genocide. And so you so they go like through this whole museum, anti-Iran, yeah. like yeah. to go to war thing. Oh and it was just God, like, bro. what in the fuck? I wanted to like plant like a bush plaque in there, and like I don't know, I was just like scheming how could I do that? But I, I oh ended up God, not doing that's it. I know, so awful. Isn't that insane? Can you imagine? Well, just imagine this. Can you imagine being like a Holocaust survivor? Yeah, like walking into that museum, and like bawling your yeah, eyes yeah, out, yeah. just having this like cathartic, crazy, yeah. intense experience, and then at the very end. You just see this a plaque about yeah, yeah, Aquadija. Yeah. It was so out of the blue. Like, what? It was so out of the blue. And then the spy <laughs> museum, God. bringing it back to the cyber terrorism thing, the spy museum is so ridiculous. Because like you walk through and it's like the most absurd propaganda about the Cold War ever. Nuts. All like everything was Russia. You know, of course, we didn't do anything. Like Russia tapped everything. Like they gave us like, a presidential seal, like this eagle in the White House. And we had to like... 
destroy it because it was filled with cameras and all this shit. Like, wow, what Russia did was so nuts. And then at the end, there's this huge extension on the museum now that is 100%. And by the way, a side note, a former CIA agent or like a for, I think the former head of the CIA or something like made the museum, like literally fucking created it. And then there's this extension room that's just 100% all about that the new terrorism is cyber warfare. Like we are going to get hit by like a 9-11 style thing, like a million times worse than 9-11 because it's going to shut off the grid. And it is so fear mongering. It's unbelievable. And I remember, and I even tried to like interview the guy who's like the historian at the museum about this room. And they wouldn't really do an interview with me that was like legitimate. Because once he found out that I was from RT, like didn't want to do it. But it was just so weird to me because I was like, first of all, do we have like a centralized grid that it, someone could just hack in and shut down a grid like that. I don't believe it was just like, everything was just so dumb. You know, it's like, what do you mean we have like a grid? There's like one electrical grid in the U S that someone could just shut it down. And then we were just like fucked and everyone's gonna be killing each other. It's gonna be like water wars and gas wars. It's like, what? and of course there's all these like military officials on the screen, this like really, really high quality movie playing as you're looking at all these horrible, like, what if? And oh my God, this is going to happen. And there's all these military people saying like, this is why we need cyber legislation. It is so crazy. It is so, so crazy. And I mean, these, it might sound just stupid, but I mean, these are museums that people travel all over the world and come see. It's like part of the Smithsonian pool. And like, if it's not, it's again, it's, I'm going to say it one more time. It's not a conspiracy theory to think (laughs) that they're rolling out. And I don't even, I mean, this is, I don't know any other way to describe it. And I don't mean this in any way to say that like the the Boston Marathon bombings were portrayed on Family Guy before they happened. But the idea of like, they are conditioning us and sort of pre-programming us to accept this notion that cyber terror is a threat and could shut down society. And because of that, we need to sort of create these preventative legislations that will curtail our freedoms just a little bit, but will like really keep us really safe on the internet. And they they are. I mean, not openly are if they're putting it in a fucking museum that's yeah. like part of the Smithsonian. Yeah, like so, straight up, like the most blatant. So I, I mean, I I just think that that was like really perceptive that like you you noticed that like a long time ago. And because I couldn't believe it that everyone was talking about like Stuxnet, and I just kept reminding them. I was like, the you do you understand what this is doing though? Like the U.S. government created this, and now it's out. And then you're telling me that like this is why we need cyber legislation. It's like wait. Wh- but it really is important to understand how all these things happen, why they're happening and what players are involved. Once again, not a conspiracy theory. It's all open. Like when I say there is no new world order, yes, politicians have said the term new world order, but it's not a group of dudes in a smoky room, like smoking cigars, talking about world domination. It's an autonomous machine that you have like a multitude of players that are so dense and they all just have similar interests. Like, yeah, and there's carry on empire and like keep fucking, I mean, whatever. And there's people who have figured out how to tap in better to the machine than other yeah. people. You know, of course, there's a the very obvious connection. You know, people like Warren Buffett and Rupert Murdoch who are tapping into this, you know, the machine in, in really, per, you know, influential ways, you know, with their money. I mean, that's really obvious. But then you have people like Robert Kagan and Victoria Newland who are tapping into the system in different ways where they're actually trying to like, Robert Kagan is writing very influential books that are trying to influence people with clever, cleverly 
disguised neocon propaganda and Victoria Newland is sort of like coasting through all these different administrations, you know, in a governmental level, sort of like with an inside ear to this. And, and I mean, no doubt she's, you know, the, her husband and her talk about, you know, what kind of information she gets. And so that's, I mean, if you want to describe the new world order, it's, it's, you know, all these kinds of people, they're individuals. And yeah, sometimes I'm sure they work together, but like, it's not, you know, there, nothing is as clean, uh, cut and dry as like, you know, even when you work on a project with like some of your best friends, you know, uh, trying to like formulate some kind of like, I don't know, idea to fruition, you're going to disagree with them. You're going to like, you know, might even lose a partner along the way or something. It's not, it's not, I don't know. It's just, yeah, the idea the of the thing that bothers order. me the most is that when people perpetuate like Illuminati New World Order stuff, it's it's oversimplifying it so much and it also just strips agency from individuals it's like it makes you feel or it makes people who believe that feel like it's already all pre-planned everything's preordained there's like this world order that's already set up and that you can't do anything about it like all you can do is go in your bunker with weapons and storable food and fucking supplements and watch it all unfold and like protect your family if like the fucking boots come to your door or whatever like that's what bothers me is it's like where's the proactive nature of how we are part of the system still look as horrible as this country is and as much as it's like fucking up the world we do have the ability to speak about these things like we're doing right now i have the ability to be on rt and say the things that i'm doing about corporations in the state that's a huge ability that we still have in this country and we need to utilize that ability. I mean, things are really, really crazy, but you don't need to like embellish it to no. really show how crazy it is. No. And yeah. Yeah. It's like every, like every shooting is like, oh, it must be the government who's like staging it. It's like, no, dude, it's a lot more complex than that. Like that's just an easy, sad kind of narrative that you're falling back on that it just doesn't hold water. I'm sorry. And it actually is just making it a lot more difficult to incur change and facilitate change. So Anyways, that's our three-hour rant. It wasn't wasn't three hours, but it was about two hours. Yeah, but um, no, yeah, it's, it's. I just wanted to say something really yeah. quickly about that. Your final point is that, uh, you know, any of these situations, it's like I'm equally disappointed, equally as disappointed in sort of the left, you know, more like liberal, anti-U.S. foreign policy people, like the Intercept, like Democracy Now you know, those kinds of people as, as I am with the sort of more people who are usually skeptical about any sort of U.S. propaganda, because yeah, a lot of those people ended up sort of just going in Russia's camp with the Crimea or Ukraine thing, or, you know, with the Boston Marathon bombings, just totally disbelieving everything that they were hearing about it to the point where it was all some sort of staged event and there were crisis actors and all that shit. So it's a problem, and, and there's problems on both sides. There's a problem with propaganda seeping through to some of these liberal outlets and them echoing it to the people who are usually really skeptical, being too skeptical and just like, you know, or just going into these skeptical camps automatically that are already out there, like certain, you know, more libertarian points of view or whatever. I mean, well, I don't what know. What bothers it's, me is I get hounded, and I don't mean hounded. I mean, I love when people send me links. That's how I get a lot of my information. The majority of the time, I mean, I work very hard to make Media Roots extremely credible. Like Media Roots, I will stand by everything on that because everything is very like verifiable fact check. Um, and the problem that I have with most of the alternative media movement 
like natural news is like fucking garbage straight up. Oh, of course. It is the most popular like quote alternative health website and I get sent natural, natural news, news shit like that's every so awful, day man. like Okay, here's the problem is that if you're applying skepticism to the entirety of the mainstream media as well you should, you need to apply that same exact skepticism to alternative media too. Like that's what I don't understand is that there's no crossover. It's like We'll believe everything like WNDnews.com and like naturalnews.com. Like this is the problem is because it makes it much harder to have a, like a legitimate alternative news movement if you're just fucking believing every single website that you come across without verifying it. Like, yes, there are incredibly good alternative news websites that are just blogs, but they have to like have some sense of credibility. And, and I think that we just really need to, to scrutinize information because it is an information war. And there are people all over the fucking internet um, that are trying to dumb down. There's disinformation agents. There's fucking psyops going on everywhere. The war on terror is just one giant psyop on humanity. And it's up to us to be critical thinking human beings and apply discernment and scrutiny to information that we're digesting before we parrot it the fuck out. So please, if there's one takeaway, just like be a critical thinker and spend some time in like the information that you are getting before you just like tout theories or whatever. It's fine to, of course, ph philosophize and pontificate and shit like that. That's fine. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying before you like within the immediate wake of everything, before you just think that you have all the answers or we should invade Syria, or we should do this. It's like. Okay, just, just like wait. Is it perspective? Patience is a virtue. Like, like, just like it's good to to be a critical thinker. You cannot rush to judgment either. Like, especially on a on a volatile situation. Like, you have to actually kind of wait it out, gather evidence, and 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 look at a lot of different sources and and make your up your own mind. And I don't think enough people do that. They just react really quickly and then just stay there. And then if they're even if they're proven wrong, they just it's like okay because like. You know, like the North Korea thing, if that's, mm -hmm, you know, if mm -hmm. Obama comes out and says that was wrong, you know, everybody will just sort of at the same time sort of just stop believing it. But it's not like they'll be embarrassed about it because everybody else That's will, what I was getting to it. is like, this, that's the kind of what Mike Rupert was saying. It's not just people like Alex Jones. It's people like all the people who parroted WMDs. They haven't been shamed. Like, yeah, they've been shamed in like some small circles and stuff, but like Judith Miller's still writing. Um, all these people are still going on the mainstream media. But it's like I, on the other hand, you know, had questions about 9-11 and like I'm like this fucking lunatic conspiracy theorist. But it's like, but the people who are paired in conspiracy theories that were pro-state and sold wars that actually killed a million plus people haven't been shamed and haven't had to apologize to the public for their complicity and lies that fucking killed people. <laughs> And it's so funny too. I mean, it's funny, but it's also just really disgusting and sad that what you said about Crimea was just like so on point and so <laughs> honest. And then like the media came at you for being a 9-11 truther and it had absolutely <laughs> nothing to do with what you said. Like, I mean, sure. Like maybe like mention it in like a sentence or something in an article if you want to, but it's like, that's what the story became with yeah. all these like totally bullshitty, like, you know, indie news outlets. I mean, raw story, little green footballs, um, the Daily Beast, the Daily Panther. I mean, just all these websites. Just that was the main issue they had. It was just so strange because it it was almost like they were waiting for a reason to like to to destroy you. Like they had heard of you before, and they just like you made them upset. 
and they just wanted to fucking take you down. And then you just realize that, you know, nothing is really ever as it seems, especially in D.C. Um, there's just a lot of a lot of interests at play. People know each other. Everyone's friends. It's like what Robert Kagan said. He's like, he's like, there's no conspiracy theory about the foreign policy initiative and about like my wife being Victoria Newland. He's just like, we just all went to these Ivy League schools together and we all just got jobs in D.C. And we're all like veterans of like the establishment think tanks and all this stuff. And it's like. And we just got married and we're all friends and we all go to dinner together. And he's like, we have a bipartisan foreign policy tradition. And he was like, that's not a conspiracy theory and it's not weird. That's just the way it is. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that we can all agree on this. And that's kind of like how the entire District of Columbia is run. That people work together. It's it's just like Hollywood, dude, except it's scary because they're plotting to fucking kill people. <laughs> so, you know, you take it out of the fictional realm and it's straight up real. So... Let's end it there. Um, everyone donate to MediaRoots.org. Um, we do have a lot of, uh, you know, costs with SoundCloud is just like retardedly expensive. It's ridiculous. So we definitely need to help like f- maintaining just our SoundCloud account um, and our website costs and all that stuff. So please donate to keep independent media running um, and check out AbbyMartin.org. I offer a free print with every purchase over $50 as well as every single purchase under 50 and over 50 comes with an entire postcard set, stickers, breaking the set stickers and all that stuff. So, and a little handwritten note. Um, so if you want to support um, my artistry, check out record label records and Robbie at fluorescent gray at Bandcamp. Dot Bandcamp. Yeah. And uh, we'll close out the show with a really good new song kind of, in the same vein as what we're talking about that my brother made, and it's really badass. Hope you guys enjoy it. Before we wrap up the show, I wanted to say something from my heart about the ongoing political crisis in Ukraine and Russia's military occupation of Crimea. Just because I work here for RT doesn't mean I don't have editorial independence.
says that he called to talk about extremists threatening ethnic Russians in Ukraine. What is your best analysis, given particularly the buildup of Russian troops along the border with Ukraine? What's your, your analysis? Is Putin looking for a way out? This is the Cold War. The Cold War has begun again.
Fuck. 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 Fuck.